This morning, I'm joined by diehard Chris to talk about the end of the J.J. Watt era, uh, continue on the train of Houston Texans stupidity, and of course, answer your beautiful and perfect listener questions. How are you doing this morning, Chris? Uh, <laughs> Texans fandom is, is is just dying slowly, like all the green outside right now with this freeze <laughs> coming over. Uh, I think it's been dead for a while now, ever since. <laughs> it was kind of funny. We we I put together that group thing that was like, what was the best memory from the 2020 season? And I think for sure, like, it's the fire of Bill O'Brien. And like yeah. I remember whenever that happened, I was like really hopeful and optimistic that you know, the Texans will fire O'Brien. They'll get a really good offensive head coach next year. There's a ton of great candidates. Um, they'll get some, I can really build an offense around Deshaun Watson. And like, if they hit in their free agent signings, they, you know, if they maybe get one or two starters in the draft. They are able to get better talent out of what they already have um, just because of poor coaching that O'Brien had on his staff and his own problems with internal development. Then, like, maybe this would be a playoff team again if Deshaun Watson's still a top-five quarterback. And we may be like, you know, a one. Just, it may just be like a one-year turnaround and then things are be beautiful and perfect again. And uh, since then, everything has just gone dumber and dumber and dumber and dumber. And there's no limits how dumb this thing is going to get. And it's going to keep getting dumber. Yeah, and it's just ironically, J.J. Watt is the one who nailed it when O'Brien got fired. He, I think as far as he ever went publicly for any sort of criticism for the franchise when he said, you know, I, I look forward to reconnecting with the fans and, and having them back on our side. Like I, I, that kind of surprised me when he said that because that's kind of a, you know, you don't have to read between the lines at all to get what he meant there. So ironically, he was the one who sort of, uh, I think, encapsulated that feeling really well. Like hope was springing eternal again. And no matter what you want to say about the Texans' past hires, and you know, obviously the O'Brien coaching situation didn't work out, but he was the hottest head coach commodity back when they hired him. And the Texans, you know, it didn't work out, but the Texans threw in. They didn't do any of this out of the box, you know, quote unquote out of the box thinking. They hired one of the you know big candidates. I don't remember how coveted Gary Kubiak was, but I loved that hire at the time. And little did we know that this time around, man, losing O'Brien was just sort of this little speed bump of happiness that would lead to, you know, falling into <laughs> and falling into a sinkhole of just death and despair that has no bottom in sight. Yeah, it's kinda like you go to the emergency room, like, all right, your appendix burst. We'll take it out, and then you get your appendix out. It's like, oh, and you have brain cancer. Oh, yeah. and it spreads your got, lungs. Oh, and you've and... got somebody else's lower body attached to you. <laughs> yeah, and we accidentally <laughs> amputate your leg also. And uh, you have exactly three seconds to, left to live, and then that's it, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, the box. It's, been, it's, it's been completely, like, you know, ridiculous. And so whenever the Watt news happened yesterday, which I think the Texans wanted to do it, like, Friday at 630 and instead, it came out Friday at 1030 because they love that Friday late afternoon news dump. They love when there were things break on Sunday, like hiring Ben McDaniels to be the assistant uh, quarterbacks coach. They love making news at those sort of time periods. Uh, but were you like sad yesterday? Like how how were you feeling after the news came out yesterday? I mean, I was sad 
because Watt was one of the last reasons to even watch the Texans. And, you know, we know what's going on with Watson and Watt is just, there's just so much, so many legendary magical memories with him that, you know, you, you can't, you can't, you, you couldn't create a player better than Watt other than maybe, you know, helping him be immune from injuries. You know, he, he was obviously a great citizen. He was amazing and dominant on the field. And I, and I hope time doesn't make people forget because, you know, when you're in it and you're experiencing it, like people who like myself, who were watching, you know, basketball and Michael Jordan's prime, like I knew he was amazing and great, but I didn't know until years later that he would, that he just ended up being mm-hmm. the greatest of all time. So it's the same with Watt. I hope, I hope people realized what they were watching at the time. Just, it was an amazing experience seeing that guy, seeing a guy who could just dominate a game seemingly at will for, I don't know, three, four, five years in a row. So yeah, I was, I was saddened by it. I was surprised. I, I didn't realize there was a rush to do this. I didn't realize that the Texans would just say, you know, we're going to do right by the player, the player, and release him at his will and not gain any benefit whatsoever from him. I'm not saying that they should have, you know, held the guy hostage or anything, but, you know, I, I don't know that the thing that's, I know we're going to get into this a little bit, but I'm very curious about what the timing for this it was when JJ said, I've sat with the McNairs and asked for my release. Did it happen yesterday? Did it happen a week ago? Mm-hmm. Did it happen two weeks ago? And then it just was finally decided to be done yesterday and they just kind of kept it under wraps. That's the kind of things I would like to know the answer to that we'll never know the answer to. Yeah, I saw some tweet um, by a guy who goes on the 610 morning show sometimes. I can't remember the guy's name. Um, he's one of those like, NFL Network like blonde hair psychophants with the NFL shield in the background. And he was saying that you know, Watt <laughs> asked for a release like a few weeks ago and it you know, kind of finally came to... Um, fruition today and like for me like I wasn't really I don't know like I think I'll be sad like whenever I'm watching the Texans play next year because like even when the Texans are bad which they are usually bad you know um, and even whenever they're really boring like they were really boring whenever he was you know really great during the Bill O'Brien era you know at least you could always watch Watt you know you could always just yep. sit there watch him the entire time and like enjoy a Texans game because of how ridiculous Watt is and things that he could pull off and yeah um, just do things like you don't see it all on the football field, especially from a position that's hard to dominate, you know, four quarters at. And he was able to consistently do that. Um, unlike any player like I've seen aside from, you know, Aaron Donald. And so watching, it's like losing that like next year, I'll, I'll, I'm really going to miss him whenever it's like week four and the Texans are 0-3 and there's nothing <laughs> good. And the defense is giving up 37 points a game because Zach Cunningham can't, car- can't yeah. carry the seam in a Levy Smith Tampa 2 defense. Like that's when I'll really miss him. But as of now, like I didn't, I didn't feel anything yesterday. It seemed like this was going to happen, whether it was a trade or a release. And uh, like, I kind of, you kind of knew it was going to happen, like going back to, you know, last year after the four and 12 season, everything else. Uh, but it, it will really be like, you know, I'll feel the devastation of it once it's an 0-4 Levy Smith defense and you don't at least even have Watt there to watch during this completely terrible defense they're going to have to have next year again, too. Yeah, 0-4 and, and already sick to death of four mind-numbingly stupid David Culley press conferences. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, the, the press conferences are going to be so intolerable if, if, the, if the, the public statements that we've heard from Culley to this point – are going to continue with their being, which they will. Oh um, man, the, just uh, I, I, I thought I thought I could, I thought that I could parody a uh, cliche-ridden NFL press conference better than reality could ever provide a parody for. But his 
discussion points on literally anything are just the most <laughs> pumped full of cliched talk around everything garbage I've ever heard. Just just like, you know, his guy Easterby, big surprise, except with less of those little, you know, I don't know what you call them, little proverb stories that, you know, Easterby likes to spin. You know, if someone is does well with their treasures, then their gifts will. He doesn't do that, <laughs> thankfully. But this whole idea about the most important thing about football is the football. And then just five straight minutes of talking around every question with just the most inane, rambling, nonsensical, non sequitur things that have nothing to do with the original. I know that this is commonplace in the NFL, but I feel like I feel like David Cully is a bot created from all of the world's cliche sports press conferences. <laughs> I, uh, I've been finally able to read some books and let football's over. And one of the books I read was uh, uh, The Simulacra and, the, and Simulation. And it's just like, you know, French postmodernism. One of the things they talk about is like hyper-reality. And David Cully's hyper-reality. He's more real than real. <laughs> <laughs> like he's like, what it. if you could imagine as a, as a perfect, you know, like you mentioned like cliche riddle head coach. Like he's that. Like it doesn't even seem like real at all. Like it's more real than anything you could even imagine. And so, yeah, like the press conferences this year, uh, I'm not going to watch them, but I'm so glad that Rivers McCown is out there. Uh, <laughs> clipping every single press conference and David Coley thing for our own personal enjoyment because it's going to be absolutely insane. I feel, I mean, what Rivers is going to have to do is one thing. At least that's video. I feel bad for the people who have to transcribe that. Although, in a way, I guess they could just sort of make a copy of it and paste the same thing every week and just change a few keywords. That's exactly how it's going to be. So, <laughs> he also, just, he, he also, I'm, pre, I'm pre exhausted from the, the David Cully area. And I, I was trying not to be mad at Cully. It's not his fault. I mean, he took the job, of course. And why wouldn't he? Because as he so eloquently put it himself, there's only 32 of these. So, why wouldn't you for five, six million dollars? He even said out loud the quiet part, which was, I would have done this for a lot less money if they just offered me less. Okay, great. Good job, guys. <laughs> He just killed it this offseason. So I, I, I'm, I'm pre-upset at the whole era. I'm, I'm, I'm pre-depressed. I'm pre-exhausted of all of it, and especially when you're not even going to get any good play on the field. But I'm going to try really hard not to focus my disdain on David Cully, who's just a guy who took a five, six million dollar a year job like any of us would, who, you know, one day was just sitting there wondering if he was going to be rehired for his assistant coach position and suddenly got a head coaching job dropped into his lap. Yeah, I, uh, I I still can't get over it. Like, I mean, I think Tim nailed on the head on the last podcast whenever he said, you know, Coley's here because he's here to keep morale high, to you know keep the keep the ship afloat because they're going to trade Deshaun Watson, and he's just here to kind of guide the rebuild until like 2023 or 2024 once the Texans go through like a Cleveland Browns sort of 0-16 rebuild, and he's the head coach you want for that. You don't want Hugh Jackson who who's like just a bad, bad coach. You want the coach who's like, bad but likable and isn't going to tear into the press and is going to like you know, smile and you know keep people I guess still playing football uh, in a completely ridiculous set of circumstances and so like I think that's completely accurate he also reminds me of I don't know if you ever watched Power Rangers in all the 1990s but um, as a child of the 1990s they would have when the like the main like evil person would take these like little clay like golems and then bring them to life and that would create the monster for that episode and mm-hmm. Coley's a, a Jackie speech tweet brought to life just like that so <laughs> jack eastby's rita in this analogy and then coley is one of his own tweets reanimated to become the head coach of the houston texans and he's just like a fca pamphlet you know that's what he is like oh it's it's a bot written from like the fca website uh yes. completely you know gone sentient 
and it's the moment of singularity, you know, brought into the Houston Texans franchise, and it's all completely ridiculous. You know, it's hyper reality you know, for the Texans and David Coley. Yeah, that's that's why I, I I'm I'm fond of the rebranding as Fellowship of the Texans. I like it. So uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sure we'll have a million other nicknames ready to go before the season actually begins, but. That's the one I'm rolling with right now. I just just yesterday I was thinking of okay, so in every NFL stadium, I assume they do the same thing the Texans did, where you know they would announce either the offense or the defense, and obviously the biggest star on either side of the ball would be the one to come out of the tunnel last at home mm-hmm. games. Who who is going to be that person? <laughs> oh, Zach Cunningham. Zach Cunningham, I would guess. Yeah. Justin Reed. Probably Zach who? Cunningham. Oh my God! This is just so. It's just so depressing. They should also just like fill the little entrance thing, the little big bowl thing with smoke and then just have Easterby come out with his arms spread out wide, like on the back of a cart or something. And just <laughs> make the whole no, team in his no, image. He, We're already headed that way. They should, they should uh, nail him to the cross and bring him out like that and roll <laughs> him out. You know, tie, well, I guess you wouldn't nail well, him. I guess you'd have to tie him up. You know, he's not, well, I mean, he's I, not I that strong. Kinda, I was going to try to ease into all the uh, you know quasi-religious connections we were going to make in this episode, but I'm fine with jumping right in. I mean, it is early, earlier than we're used to recording this podcast, and usually I have a drink or six while we're doing this. And I, <laughs> even I, just even with the Watt news, I, I can't get myself to go that far this early, but we have a ways to go yet. So yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, God's great. I love Jesus and everything, but this is a football <laughs> team. It's not a. It's it's, it's not, not mega church. It's not a vehicle to you know to create like this, to bring your own ideology, yeah. you know, into, you know, it's like, it's a job. It's something completely separate than whatever your personal affiliation yeah. is. And, you know, I know sports are kind of like blur. Like I remember whenever I played football a long time ago, I was really kind of like confused by how much praying was involved, like before games and like, in <laughs> like t- after team meetings and stuff. I'm like, I'm, I mean like, you know, this is cool, I guess this isn't for me at this time, but I was really kind of surprised by and like, you take that at that level of play and then you magnify it course like college and pros games. And I'm sure it's there, but it is like really kind of surprising that the Texans are entire franchise built around this culture of, you know, religious faith is kind of how they are now, you know, and it's yeah. been turned into, you know, those things like about being tough, smart, and dependable. And that's completely reversed the course into like faith, family and football and Olive Garden. And, uh, and like that, <laughs> the culture is important, but you don't win games because of the culture. You win games because of the talent that you have. And then all the other stuff like is like little beneficial things that keeps the team together and keeps players happy and keep them, you know, in the same franchise and stay going and leaving them play other places. Yeah, talent, scheme, coaching. I mean, culture is important. And I mean, I think this is the important thing to, to, to keep hammering, which is we're all very aware that a large portion of every NFL locker room is religious, maybe even mm-hmm. very religious. But I mean, Deshaun Watson is a religious guy. <laughs> it, 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 there's a level that you get to where it becomes creepy even to other folks who are also <laughs> religious and they're rejecting it. And this modern NFL, I just, man, the character coaching and this purveying sort of, and again, this is no disrespect to, to Christianity. It's just, you, you bring this in and you, you don't account for other opinions and other ways of thinking in the locker room. I mean, if Arian Foster, I brought up Arian Foster and Jack Easterby before, like way before disappointed that he wasn't a Texan during the Easterby era, but clearly he would have been cut immediately the second he opened his mouth on this team if he was mm-hmm. on this team. So it, when when you don't have enough room in your culture for folks who are going to question once in a while, I mean, this, okay, I, I know this well. Relationships are hard. When things happen, you got to try to work through them. 
unless you're just completely out. I mean, that's part of any business when there's strong opinions, strong belief systems, strong um, personalities. You try your best to work through them. And if you can't, then something has to change. Easterby just seems to be like, eh, you're gone. Eh, you're gone. Oh, I don't like the way you think. You're gone. Let's not work on this until, you know, Deshaun wants to, you know, get out. He's not going to get rid of him because he's obviously the golden goose for everybody. So just just this, like, this resistance to actually working issues out with players like Clowney and Hopkins Mm -hmm. and, you know, pre-Easterby Dwayne Brown, it just, it's just sort of followed the franchise around. And now we're down to Zach Cunningham coming out during (laughs) pregame introductions. Yeah. And the other thing about it too, it's like what makes football and what makes sports great in general is you have so many different people from a wide different a wide variety of backgrounds and from yeah, all over the country. Thing. Yeah, like it's ten different viewpoints and like you get such a like interesting group of people in the same spot, like all working towards, you know, common goal, which is to win games, you know. And like by having some sort of monoculture like the Texans have, this like man of the cloth, you know, straight and clean uh, whatever, you know, bathe in holy water before every game, you know, sort of culture they have, it's very boring, you know? Like, regardless yeah. of, like, it being bad and creating a bad football team and driving all these great players out, it just creates a really boring team, too. And, like, sport, like, the win-loss thing, yeah, of course, like, some fun teams are usually teams to win games, but that's not entirely true. Like, you can have, find enjoyment in sports in a wide variety of ways. And, like, that's kind of the other thing. It's that, like, with the O'Brien era, like, yeah, the Texans were 10-6. and six, They won the AFC South, but they were boring. Like, it wasn't a lot of fun watching the Texans beat the Lions 13-10 while you're hungover over on the couch. Like, there were so many weekends like that um, where the team wasn't, like, fun to watch, even though it was good. And so, like, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the other thing about this. Like, the team is going to be bad, but the team is going to be bad and it's going to be interesting. It's going to be uninteresting without like any sort of players that are fun to watch at all, without like, any sort of personalities that really kind of come out on the team too. And uh, like I can't really like, and once they trade Watson, like it's going to be you know kind of fast forward three years from now until they're actually like worth watching again. Um, and we'll watch because we're sick, you know, and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> yes. there's nothing. They're we're all disgusting and yeah, you know, whatever else. And, like I like hanging out with you guys, and that's why yeah, I'll that's keep watching. You it's know, just the people. It's just the people. That's I think that's the only reason I'm going to be hanging on. You know, I, I wouldn't have left the team, I don't think, but I definitely just, I, I would probably be half in until things improved. But because, you know, because of all the people involved, you know, you guys and just Texans Twitter and, you know, friends and various family and everything, I, I just, there's just no way out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and and also it's, it's that and uh, it's going to be fun to see how stupid it's going to get. Because again, like, like hiring David Coley, training Deshaun Watson, cutting J.J. Watt, like all these things are stupid and it's been very stupid for the last three years, but it's going to keep getting dumber. Like it's not going to get better. It's going to keep getting dumber. And so I'm really interested to see how, how low the bottom is to this thing. Can, can it get stupider though? Because yes, here's, it can it, always well, get dumber. Well, here's how I feel about it. This, the, the big change is happening almost right away, which is getting rid of a 25 year old under contract, generational good citizen talent, at quarterback that what could this once once they get rid of him what could this franchise possibly do worse going forward so the worst thing that could happen i feel like is happening at the start because they're not going to acquire another deshaun watson maybe not in the history of the franchise like and that's not a comment about the texans being poorly run that's mm-hmm. just that's just a fact like it's he's a talent so fact. good it's a what it's like it's a it's a fact of the talent that he has as a player it, Right, exactly. So they're going to screw that up over Cal's, you know, personal spiritual advisor. Then what 
worst thing could they screw up? My, my point being, to me, it feels like the only way this would end is if this built for a few years and then Watson wanted out a couple years into this. But now there's not going to be a larger thing that would happen that would cause Cal to go, man, what's going on here? He's losing his generational franchise quarterback. This has never happened in the history of the NFL. When franchise quarterbacks have moved on, they mm -hmm. haven't been in their prime and as good as Watson. It's never happened. So my, my, my point is, like, it, this is going to be a giant gaping stab in the gut. And then from there, it's just going to be death by a thousand cuts with no end in sight. <laughs> it's kind of kind of like the, arm, the guy's arm in uh, Requiem for a Dream. Where like Train Watson's like the decision to Boy, take the heroin, the most and then <laughs> and then the arms can get blacker and blacker, yeah. and, and then and, and the fans are Jennifer Connelly, if you know what I mean. At yeah, the end. well, no, <laughs> Cal McNair and Jack Easterby uh, are are going into end at, at while this whole thing is uh -huh. going on, while our arm turns black and ends up getting lopped off, you know. End to end, yeah, we'll clean it up. End to end, if you remember the movie. We'll, we'll clean it up to end to end. Yeah, I watched that like three weeks ago for the first time, and I still can't. I was at the end oh, of the movie. Man, I, was I, can't like, believe, I can't believe I didn't rec recommend that one to you. That is one of my all-time favorite depressing movies. No, you did, but I didn't, I didn't watch oh, I did? it. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't get around to it yet, and then it was recommended to me by, by her, and I watched it, and I was like, yeah, it's still in me. Like It's just one of those movies oh, yeah. It's just in you forever. And it, it's also a it great Joker sense. movie, too. The mom is the Joker, which is a really great, like, uh, better than Jared Leto's Joker is her. Yeah, oh, she was great in that movie. Uh, well, I guess we can talk about J.J. Watt instead of, that was the idea of this, and instead of how dumb sure, the taxes sure. are. We'll, but we'll, every... we'll save the movie talk for the potential 24-hour podcast. All, all, <laughs> all roads for, like, everything, like, every conversation about the Texans, though, now always circles back to Jack Easterby, Cal McNair, how stupid this team is. And it's like, even though we, we came here this morning to talk about JJ Watt and kind of the decision was to cut him and like kind of enjoy his career in a, in a retrospective sort of way, like it all kind of ends back talking about how dumb this team yeah. is. But um, <laughs> so the Texans did decide to cut Watt. He was owed $15.5 million this season. And the Texans had three options here. They could have traded him to a team that, you know, he was agreed to, wanted to go to, and maybe got a mm -hmm. second or third round pick for it. And then that team could have extended him for two years and turned $15.5 million to like 10 and 5 or whatever else they needed to do to make that work out. Um, they could have released him, which they chose to do, to save $15.5 million. Or they could have extended him, kept him in Houston forever, and then kind of pushed that contract to make it like seven point five and and 10 or whatever else they needed to do to make that happen. Um, was this the best decision for all parties involved to cut J.J. Watt? For all parties, definitely not. For JJ, it was great. Um, I understand the thinking that I'm seeing on Twitter now, which is just, you know, let the guy go, save face for the franchise, which whatever. It's no, too late. There's no saving face. And, and also, yeah, who cares? You Now, one thing the Texans have done now that is definitely not Patriot South is they just cut JJ Watt without getting any, any compensation for him. That is not something the Patriots ever would have done. But aside from that, the fact that that move was done with Nick Casario as the GM, I mean, I'm already not impressed with the beginning of the Nick Casario era, but this is a specific decision that I think shows that Casario is not the one, you know, running the show. And I, I know that we all sort of already tongue in cheek understand that's what's going on, but you can't tell me unless, unless JJ Watt has only one team he wants to go to. You can't tell me that you can trade the guy mm -hmm. because if he has two, if he has two places, at least two places that he wants to go to, you get those two teams, you get them on the phone, and you say, "Hey, you know, it's going to one of you two guys. Give us 
you know, start start with the second. Give or, you know, for the hell of it, start with the first. Or just say this team is willing to give us a second. Will you give us a second? Yes. Yeah, start with the just first. And let it work itself out. Yeah. You know, like, I know you're not going to get a one for them. You're probably not going to get a two. Maybe you can get a three, especially when they know that you're going to release them anyway. I, I I don't understand the mentality of let's just cut off our nose to spite our face here. And also just, it makes me wonder if there was an agreement with JJ that just said, Hey, we will unconditionally release you. Just don't with say no issue. about us. Exactly. Just, just don't, just don't hammer us. And if that was the deal that was made, then, then honestly, I'm, I'm sort of mad at JJ for yeah. it. <laughs> so I, I want him to get his ring. Um, and I want him to win wherever he goes, even if it's a team that I hate. Um, but man, I don't think I don't think JJ owes the fans of Houston a single thing. Mm-hmm. But if he really loves the fans and he loves the city, he'd do us a solid on the way out the door when the dust settles a little bit on this thing and go on the record. And I'm not even talking about giving specific examples, but just go on the record and say, you know, Jack Easterby or prompt or he could even say prominent people who you've heard mentioned are absolutely tearing the team apart. Yeah. Like like you've heard. Like he doesn't have to go in on them. He just needs to get on the record as acknowledging that's true. Like nothing is going to change unless some of these guys start speaking up. Mm-hmm. Well, what's funny is like I don't. <laughs> yeah, like again, everything goes back to how dumb this team is, and yeah, you know, that's kind of how I feel about Watt is too. Like, like I love Watt, and it kind of goes back to Watson as well. Like I know they haven't really said anything like specifically, but they have alluded to it through press conferences like Watt did. You talked about like, you know, we just get the team back to the fans and it was great. Like feeling we had our football team back and now it's, it's kind of already disappeared again, that feeling, but like now that he's out of here and you don't have to play the good, good soldier at all anymore. you like, you can say like Watson is or what he isn't doing. Um, but like now's your chance to come out and actually say something. And that's kind of the frustrating thing. Like as a, as a fan of this team who, you know, watching everything that's happened the past two years, is that nobody's come out and really said anything about how this team is being run, how stupid these things are, how these things don't make any sense, how the culture is this or that. Like it's all in like Sports Illustrated reports, talking to people inside the building and whatever else, and like weird decisions that have been made since Brian Game was abruptly fired. But like a player hasn't stepped up and said something, and so like I'm really hoping Watt is that person that's going to do it. But in the meantime, it's just like it's just frustrating to know this stuff is going on, not hear anything from you know players themselves about like what. What's happening within there and why this is such a bad situation as it is instead we're having to lean on you know greg bedard articles with sports illustrated and john <laughs> mcclain you know, going on 610 answering mailback questions in the houston chronicle <laughs> you know like there isn't there there has been a specific example from a player yet i hope watt provides that as one less thank you to, as one last thank you to the city of houston instead of like a back page you know houston chronicle thank you letter you know yeah, absolutely. It, it has to happen. Otherwise, I just don't I just don't see how it changes. And I mean, even even that again, with Watson potentially being traded, even Watt speaking out, I feel like won't make a difference because what is a bigger red flag than the Watson situation? Mm-hmm. Of course, that hasn't played itself out yet. So. So, yeah, with Watt, like I, I wish him the best, but I, I, I hope he realizes that he actually could make make the difference. It's not going to put it over the top, but man, maybe it would get the ball rolling and some yeah. other guys might start speaking out too. Like, like you said, we're just, we're left to conjecture and to people on the radio. So like, you know, a couple of the ex players who have radio gigs in Houston will sometimes say, yeah, well, I got a text from an ex Texan who just basically confirmed everything in that article was completely true. Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. Like we will never know all the details of it, but clearly Clearly, it's an issue enough that's tearing this franchise apart. And it's so bad that it makes me wonder if 
you know, Roger Goodell and the NFL like may have any interest in like at least stepping in and not stopping anything because mm-hmm. they'll never go that far. But just to come to Cal and be like, man, just what, what's going on? You know, what's going on now? There, I, it makes me wonder if there is something in the NFL bylaws mm-hmm. that might that they might be violating when it's clear that there's a there's a, bring- there's a there's a dullard law or something like that. There's a dullard <laughs> contract. Someone, clause. yeah, someone incompetent or I mean. This clear pattern of him bringing in, you know, guys that are aligned with his belief system, which has nothing to do with football beliefs. You know, that's not something they could ever approve, quote, in a court of law, obviously, because, you know, all, all they're going to do is be like, look how diverse we are. We're the only team that hired a, you know, a black coach. But all these guys have the same mindset, you know, their same belief system. And I, I feel like it would, would alienate, alienate some players who, you know, aren't as fervently Christian as them, or, you know, God forbid a different religion or God forbid an atheist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. anyway, always back to the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, and it is like indulgence, you know, where it's like McNair's paying to try to get his way into heaven with the, with the football <laughs> team in some weird way. But yeah, but <laughs> kind of I, funny I, way of doing it. Yeah. But I think also like, just like Watts, the best player in franchise history by far, he's a hall of yep. famer, no doubt. I mean, I think Andre Johnson should be the first hall of famer in NFL franchise history in Texas franchise history. But like the stats are, you know, iffy. Like there's, it's not like yeah. a sure thing that he'll get in. And also, nah, I wonder if the Texans. He's not going to be first ballot. No yeah, chance. and I wonder if the Texans are going to push for because, like, what would get Johnson into the Hall of Fame is that he's the first great player in this new franchise, and you know he makes the fa- make the fans happy of this new franchise and give them some sort of history that they don't have at all. And I, I wonder if the Texans are going to push forward after you know the tweet that came out and that sort of thing. But what's right. going to be if, if Andre isn't though? But like having that player who meant so much to the city and so much to the franchise speak out against what's going on here, maybe like nothing's opened up Cal McNair's ears at all aside from what he's hearing from Easter being like and whatever whoever else is telling him inside the team itself. And it's like anything that could maybe get some of the you know holy water out of his ears. Uh, yeah. You know, would be like a very or like open his heart up a little bit. You know, would be like a very good thing to have occur, and hopefully, Wallet provides that. Is is kind of like the hope here by him speaking something out about what's been going on in Houston? Yeah, let me let me lay out very quickly my my dream scenario. Well, of course, my dream scenario is that all this is a nightmare, and we wake up tomorrow, and none of this is real. But <laughs> aside from that, I I really do feel like what's going to happen here is that the Texans are going to dig in. Watson's going to dig in. And he's going to, I feel like he's going to sell the season. They're not going to trade him for the draft. That's what I think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So here, here's my dream of dreams. You got Andre Johnson, a guy who never said anything while he was here. He only said it with his fist that one time against Cortland Fittigan. Mm-hmm. He's the only guy who's actually put a name to this so far. He was in the building for a while when Easterby was there. Technically he still works for the Texans as an ambassador. So he's still part of the franchise. It's not like he was long gone. He wasn't there every day. But he's been there at times when Easterby was there. So fast forward a year, the Hall of Fame vote comes up. Miracle of miracles. This definitely will not happen. But let's just say for the sake of this fun exercise, he actually gets elected on the first ballot into the Hall of Fame. He decides to go in as an Indianapolis Colt. <laughs> and when he goes in as an Indianapolis Colt. Or no, a Tennessee Titan even. Or, or it's an, oh God, that's right. Or, yeah. oh, geez, why do you remind me of that? I've forgotten about the Titan part. He caught, I think he Jesus caught game winning touchdown that Titans year two uh, like, for one that, or okay. two weeks. That makes it infinitely better. Okay, so he retires as a Tennessee Titan. Coinciding with that is an article where he just releases everything about Jack Easterby and that franchise on the record that he's experienced and everything that other players have told him. If that doesn't move the needle a year from now, then nothing will. That's my, that's my dream scenario. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's like um I don't know, like a, a journalism movie coming to life that occurred. Uh Andre Johnson as a tight end. He started four games, played eight games, 
had nine catches on 22 targets, two touchdowns, four first downs. Uh, you know, the, he had 3.9 yards a target, which was uh, very sad to see at his age 35 season. But, you know, we all can't be great forever. So I know, I know we kind of mentioned this earlier. This was definitely the best decision for J.J. Watt, but it wasn't the best decision for the Houston Texans. And, like, like it was the classy thing to do. It was, like, the, the right thing to do, I guess, ethically, if you want to put it like that. But it wasn't – If you're, this isn't an anchor man at all. Like, this is a football team. You know, you don't get bonus points for being classy. And so I don't understand how you could be running a football team and trying to, like, even, like, not even winning games this year but building for the future and how you cut, like, a top 15 defensive end for you know a cap casualty like this and not yeah. get anything form at all like even a fourth round pick could become like a special teams player you know or you know like a a, a sub package a pass rusher you know who knows sure. that could be or a decent be, running back or, a de- or yeah or a really good running back even you yeah. know it's absolutely insane to be running a football team trade a player that has some sort of values and asset that you could get a second round or a third round or a fourth round pick or even like a seventh round pick is better than getting nothing for him and it is so like absolutely stupid to let this guy walk for nothing. And I, I really the only argument for is I think what you is what you mentioned just a second ago is that there's probably something here just to save face that if we release you, you won't you know come out and say bad things about the Texans after it happened because that's the only thing here that makes any sense at all. And uh, it's it's absolutely insane though to try to release him and not get anything back for him. And again, it's not for this year; it's just for the future. Because if the Texans aren't going to be good until 2023, for example, that still is an asset and that you can use in the future, um, regardless of like allowing Watt to like pick between you know and go meet with ten teams instead of saying here's my list of five that you make it happen from there. Yeah, and what you just laid out makes sense on every level for any NFL team in any type of shape. But the Texans have hardly, they have no premium draft capital. They have, they have a very small amount of top end talent on the roster. When, when Watson's gone, I mean, again, what top end players do you even have? Just a couple. So for the Texans, especially who need every draft pick they can possibly get their hands on to just let him skate like that. And I mean, again, like, I don't, I'm not talking about a protracted hostage situation where they just mercenary, you know, get a pick from the, the, whoever gets the best offer where Watt doesn't want to go. Pick two teams, three teams off his list. You know, if he can come in and sit down and negotiate his release, then he can also come in and say, well, I prefer to play in Pittsburgh, Green Bay, Baltimore, Kansas City, New Ten- England, Tennessee. or whatever. <laughs> no. And then go to those teams. And just be like very transparent. Yes, it's true. We're going to release him. Everyone knows this. We're not going to try to pretend like we're not going to. But one of you clearly wants him and can have him at this value. So I, I, know, I know that he has a big salary next year. But I think the other part of it is that, you know, he was very effective this year. And he was the only guy that people had to key on. You put him on a line with, like, you put him in Tampa Bay or you put him you know, and, and on one of these teams, like maybe Baltimore, Ugh. one of these teams, or, or Pittsburgh, you put him on one of those teams where he doesn't have to carry the weight of the entire world and maybe even make him rotational. Oh my God, I, I feel like he could have another couple of really high sack years, even maybe playing less, you know, fewer downs mm. because he's not going to be so bad. Or obviously his health would be key, but you put him on a smart defense with a smart coordinator. 
with some good talent around him. I mean, I, I feel like he could have another good two, three, four years, as long as he stays healthy, which he probably won't. But when he is healthy, I think he'll be very effective for a few years still. Yeah, I mean, this is his age 31 season. He had five sacks, 14 tackles for loss, seven yeah. quarterback hits, two forced fumbles, and seven pass defense. And, like, you know, he didn't want to play against the run, like, the first four weeks of the season. And then, and then it kind of felt like he was like, oh, crap, like, we're going to be bad. I don't want to be here going forward. I need to put some good tape out there. And so he then he started playing the run, looked better in that way. Um, and that sort of thing too. But yeah, I think like he can for sure have, um, you know, success somewhere else in the future. And this is a question that, you know, Carlos Flores asked, you know, who of course writes the website and has been on this podcast, you know, plenty of times yep. before. And he, he thinks asked, back to the future three is the best back to the future. Yeah. I know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> he asked, uh, what do you think JJ's ideal role with a contender would be every, every down player, only Brian passing down so he can pin his ear backs. And like, this is kind of what I talked about, like even going into this year that I do think Watt would be really good in like a Dwight Freeney on Atlanta sort of role or a John Abraham on Arizona sort of role where he only plays like 20, 25 snaps a game, only plays pass rushing downs. Like that's his job. Like you line him up as a four eye, you line him up as a three, you line him up as like a you know wide seven, you kind of move him all across the line of scrimmage and just use him on third downs and second long situations. Don't play him against the run because it's not necessarily the games, it's the snaps that he plays. And like every snap is kind of precious for a guy who plays as many snaps that he has at his age of his career too. And uh, his injury history, and so like I think if you just use him in pass rushing situations, play him twenty five snaps a game, like I think he could have like another twelve sack season. I think he'd be like you know I think he could be like a Dwight Freeney sort of like bullpen pass rusher, um, and have a lot of success in that way. And there's a lot of teams that can use that. You can never have enough good pass rushers. There's a lot of like good playoff teams that need additional pass rushing help. I think Watts can be you know has a chance to be incredible next year if he's using that role. I just wouldn't want to use him on, you know, first down, second down and waste his time, you know, trying to stop a running back for, you know, two yards or whatever. It's not that important. Yeah. The combination of, of him being converted to a situational player, plus him being online with other top talent, I, man, I think he could be, I mean, I, I struggle to use the word elite because he's, he's an older player, but man, his chances of staying healthy are going to obviously increase with the fewer reps he gets. And I even remember at some point in the last couple of years, I don't know if it was when he was coming off with one of his injuries or what, but there was like a two or three game stretch. If you remember where they greatly reduced his snaps and he was super effective during that time. Mm -hmm. And then they, of course they went right back to just run him into the ground. But I mean, what can you do when you don't have any other (laughs) talent on the line? You know? So the best thing they could have done for Watt is, you know, maybe try to find a way to Design uh, to resign DJ Reader or bring in some more defensive line talent, but you know here we are. So at his age, I, I totally agree. Make him situational, put him with some talent, and man, just just look out. Which you know that's why I hope he's being very very careful about the team he chooses because what's the point of doing this if he's not doing it to get a ring? I'm not saying he's a ring chaser because mm-hmm. what even is that? He did all he could here. He did all he could and more here. I don't blame him one bit. So I don't know if the Steelers are really. You know, they're, quote, a contender, but I don't know if they're a Super Bowl contender. But then again, you know, if he could turn that defense from, you know, really good to super elite, then maybe they could, you know, coast that into a Super Bowl win. I'm, I'm not sure. I just yeah, feel like from, that would just from be great to all time great, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I could see that. Obviously, people would just think it was because he wanted to play with his brothers. But I mean, that that defense could be, you know, legitimately historically great, at least on paper. So, yeah, I, I just man to see him do it somewhere else. It's going to be hard, but I will be I'll be excited about it for sure. For I'll, I'll watch his career, and even if he ends up on the Titans, you know, like 
I'm not going to root for the Titans, but I'll still continue to root for JJ. <laughs> uh, well, I've, I want to make sure, because this is a very professional podcast. I like everything we do at Battle Red Blog. is very professional with high mm-hmm. journalistic integrity and standards. I'm Dwight Freeney on the 2015 Cardinals. It wasn't the Falcons. They played the Falcons the following year when the Falcons lost the Patriots in Super Bowl, but it wasn't really all that effective. Miss age 35 season, he led the Cardinals with eight sacks, had nine quarterback hits, five tackles for a loss. Um, didn't start one game, was just purely used as a pass rusher. And that was on that 13-3 Cardinals team. They got their you know head kicked in by Carolina that year. But like that's the type of thing I'm talking about with Dwight. Like or I mean with JJ is like you can use him in a role where he's only a pass rusher and it just exists to you know get after the quarterback and you know, same for those down distances. And, I, and again, like I think it really kind of comes down to the situation like you mentioned. Like he's not going to carry entire pass rush, which is what the Texans banked on this year in the off season. They thought, okay, well if we get Eric Murray and then if JJ Watts <laughs> so healthy for the whole year will be at least acceptable uh, defensively Ugh, because of how good no. Watt is. Like, he's 31, you know? I give us yeah. a completely absurd decision. And uh, I know, like, look, we're, we're not professional football men, but the Texans have done so many stupid things over the years that, like, we would have done a better job than the professional football men in, you know, so many ways running this thing. But, yeah, like, I think, I think there's a lot of teams that could use Watt um, next year. Like, it, it's, it's insane. Like, Buffalo, Tennessee, you know, Pittsburgh, uh, Green Bay, you know, Minnesota, there's a wide variety of teams that would have given up a third or fourth round pick for Watt, even if we're not even talking about like a second round pick at all. And uh, if you're getting, if you're building for the future, just releasing Watt for a $15.5 million cap hit uh, for cap space is, is ridiculous. So the Texans now have $3.3 million in cap space after this move. This is the second move of Nick Casario's career as the general manager. His first move, of course, was signing Paul Questenberry, brother of David, a former uh-huh. New England Patriot blocking tight end. Uh, he was released off the practice squad. You know, you know something else about Paul, uh, Chris? Uh, he, I would love to. He served five years in the Marine Corps as well. So perfect culture guy, uh, tough, <laughs> smart, dependable. You know, uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he, he's, he falls in line with a lot of other things here. <laughs> a literal good soldier. To do. A literal good soldier. <laughs> um, and so, the, and then this also kind of takes me back to, the press conference they had, the conference call after they traded DeAndre Hopkins. Remember, they were too much of cowards to have a press conference, so they had this like really weird conference call that Mark Vandermeer led with the media where they talked to Cal, they talked to Bill, they talked to Jack. And at one point at that press conference, Cal McNair you know, said, you know, you're going to be very excited, Texans fans. We have a lot of exciting moves coming down the pipe. Um, they're exciting moves. Fire Bill O'Brien, get nothing from their 2020 rookie class. Hire Nick Casario, hire David Coley, and now cut JJ Watt. And those are the exciting moves that they have in store. And include we can also tell us to have a Mexican standoff with Deshaun Watson with you know them pointing a gun at each other's head. So really exciting stuff. Um, the Texans have promised since trading DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson and what turned in Ross Blacklock and Brand Cooks. Yeah, and, and the, the again, I've already mentioned David Coley being a bot, but McNair's responses now are very bot like too. They all include that final line of creating memorable experiences for our fans <laughs> and doing things for the city of Houston. I, I mean, 100% on the memorable experiences. I mean, this has been one of the most memorable times of my sports life for any team. My entire sports life, this has been one of the most memorable times. So they're, def- they're definitely nailing that part. Uh, just not really in the way I think that, uh, that he intended. But man, I just, it, all the stuff we just talked about with Watt, once again, shows why, trading at the deadline last year was the time to do it. I mean, he was healthy. People who know the game knew that he was effective, even mm-hmm. if he didn't have huge numbers. 
could have helped the team down the stretch, but here we are. Apparently, reportedly, they didn't even take phone calls and said it was absolutely off the table to trade Watt at the trade deadline well, last they, year. They were, they were still competing for a playoff spot at the trade deadline last year. <laughs> right, right, because they might, they, might, they might increase the playoff field and the team might end up being 8-8 eight and eight and get in the playoffs. I, I remember. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, Jackie Sweet did make one trade. He traded Eli Anku, who played zero snaps for the Texans for a seventh-round pick. So I knew Jack has a pretty good track record, and I think he has a better track record than uh, Nick Casario so far, too. So, yeah, I, I think we said before, but 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 I think it bears repeating that when he was named interim GM, like we all should have made a bigger deal. That all all of us did sort of freak out about it and wonder what the hell is going on. But when you have other personnel people in the building, after all this talk about how he's not a personnel guy, and they just went ahead and slapped the interim GM GM label on him, that that really I think should have caused more than a stir than it actually did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, so after this Watt cut, like, have your thoughts trade changed at all regarding Deshaun Watson? Does this decision to trade to cut Watt instead of trade something for him uh, or keep him around? Does that change any idea of what you have? What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? The standup that they're currently in. Uh, I don't know if it's changed how I feel about Watson. I mean, obviously there are two completely different situations and all that. I, you know, my my thought from the start has been you just you just don't trade him. You just don't. And if that means he sits out an entire year, then he sits out an entire year. I guess it started to creep into my head that his value is never going to be higher than it is right now, especially when there's a chance that you could actually get, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the draft for him. But the Texans have not earned the benefit of the doubt to convince mm-hmm. you that they would even pick the right guy if they got the number two or the number three pick or that they would spend those high premium picks they got on the right people because they're clearly bringing in not only front office people, but also players who are in their image. And so in a, in a, in a business where there's 32 teams competing for the same prize every year, now you've hamstrung yourself even more because whereas before you could just be like, well, the hard part is evaluating talent, putting a a good coaching staff together and then trying to win on Sundays. Now we have all that. Plus Eh, Justin Fields has the same agent as Deshaun Watson, so probably not. Zach Wilson, is he the right kind of religious? I don't know, so maybe not. <laughs> He's a little too weird even for Jack used to be. Free agents, you know, top free agents. We can do the entire free agency preview for the Texans in the next seven seconds. You ready? Here we go. Yeah, I'm ready. Why would that guy want to come here? Yeah. The end. That's the whole show. Mid-tier guys. And lower tier guys, it doesn't matter. They need to get their money. I get it. And they need a chance any, to play as well, too. But any player, any player who has a choice between anywhere else and Houston, unless they are also fervently evangelical and cut from the same cloth as Jack Easterby, why would they come here? So you have, to, you have all these new hurdles that you have to clear now. Besides just the war of attrition that already is the NFL trying to win as hard as it is to already win in this league – all these franchises that have never had these limitations that could never get to the Super Bowl, like the Texans before this, you know, the Browns, the Cardinals, all these teams that have never won a Super Bowl are fighting all the same stuff the Texans are. But now the Texans have added a huge heap of shit that they have to overcome to get to that point. It's 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 maddening. <laughs> yeah, I, I there's like I can't I can't even imagine why. Already, like I can't even get to that point where I'm trying to think about this offseason because it's like no, there's there's two <laughs> different teams here. It's like there's a team with Watson and there's a team without Watson, and there's two different ways to think about. It. Like neither way it makes very much sense at all. And like so, I I after we did our podcast two weeks ago, like I do think Watson's gonna be traded. I think he'll get traded before the NFL draft, 
And I think all signs kind of point to right now. I think the David Coley hiring does especially. Um, and they're going to try to get like four first-round picks from the Jets and two first-round picks or, you know, try to trim them in Miami and get Tua, who, you know, has the has the cross underneath his eyes every time he goes out there and you know, and get their uh, draft pick back from the Larry Mutensil trade. Maybe they can send Larry Tensel over there too long with Deshaun Watson and get another first-round pick out of it as yeah. well. But, like, I think he's going to get traded. I think he's going to get traded to the Jets or the Dolphins. And I think it's going to happen before the NFL draft. And, like, again, like, it all goes back to the Coley hiring because if Coley wasn't going to be here – if they got an actual offensive coordinator here who could actually develop an offense instead of a guy who is bad in Buffalo, bad in Baltimore, bad in Kansas City, um, and is just here to say nice things and keep people happy, you know, it'd be different. But I think he's just here to to kind of anchor a rebuild. And the watch, the Watt decision cut Watt doesn't change that. It's just very stupid that you don't get like a third round pick out of Watt um, by doing that too. So let's go back in time. Uh, what were you doing whenever Watt was drafted back in 2011? And were you happy with the selection whenever it was made? I, I didn't know a whole ton about him. I'd seen his name in a bunch of mocks. Um, as far as what I was, what I was doing, I, that was, that was, that was 10 years ago. I, I have no idea. I was living somewhere and I was doing things is all I can tell you. Wow. Wow. Chris, you, you knew exactly where you were whenever the towers fell down, but you don't know where you were when Walt was selected in the first round. I, Unbelievable. I remember when, I remember when Brian Cushing was drafted because I was in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so I, at least I remember that one. But with Watt, I, I, I don't recall. Um, I was not angry, but I was also not excited. I was like, okay, well, you know, Wade Phillips is on the staff. They got some guys who know things about defense. I, I, I wasn't, I was, I've never been a full on put all my trust in the Texans to get this right guy. Thank God. Um, especially now that serves me well, but, but at that point, I thought, you know, clearly they see something in him that I don't see. Um, but at the same time, I've always been, uh, you know, I've always been a build the team front to back guy, mm-hmm. you know, defensive line, offensive line. Of course, the league has changed now, but but for a long time, I did believe in that philosophy. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think you could have been you could have blamed the fans for being upset because it's not like Watt was a sack machine. Like no one knew he was going to be uh, like you, you thought he might be like a solid stalwart up front maybe maybe a pro bowler you know long time starter but no one could have foreseen how he turned out so i wasn't angry but i wasn't happy about it either i think that was the nick farrelly year so i, I think that was back when we all had nose tackle lust so i probably wanted Farrelly if i remember right <laughs> which is so funny because it's like the least important position is whoever your nose tackle is yeah and i think i think bfd started all that too he's been still craving nose tackle play and he got in dj Rita for a little bit now it's uh you know yeah. i remember Jarrell poe very well um, I remember <laughs> yes. when they released him for Pickens and Pickens was actually pretty good at age like 39 or whatever. I though I don't remember where I was. I remember like back then, like I watched the Texans play every week, but I wasn't that like, I'm not, you know, as disgusting as I am now. Like I didn't watch video. I wasn't like, didn't know anything about the draft Didn't watch college football. Uh, the one pick I really remember was whenever they selected Cream Jackson over Earl Thomas because I spent the night in jail that night whenever I was in college <laughs> because I got a PI for, you know, drinking too much and going to a concert and nice. uh, I remember like asking guys like, dang, I really wanted Earl Thomas. I actually wrote like an essay, like not an essay, but a short story about being arrested. And that part of it's in there as well, too. So uh, I remember when Kevin Johnson was selected. I remember when Dave, Deshaun Watson was selected. Uh, but JJ wasn't fully, fully, on, fully online. My brain wasn't fully working for them there, too. Um, whenever Watt's rookie year was going on, though, was there a moment that stands out to you at all his rookie year where you're just like, this guy has it? And he's the potential to like have the years they have from 2012 to 2015. 
There were definitely moments during the season. I, I don't recall specific plays during that season other than in the playoffs where obviously, you know, the pick six against Cincinnati, I believe, was in the playoffs mm-hmm. of his rookie year. But it, that that obviously was something. But that, that you know, that took all the skill in the world for J.J., but obviously that was sort of a almost like a once-in-a-lifetime type of play where you just pick it out of the Except air. Except he did three times. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact – I mean, the, the, the snatching it right out of the air without, without like, bobbling it or tipping it, like, that was, just, that was just an amazing play. And it's not really the skills that make you a great defensive lineman. It's just, you know, he was a tight end. He has great hands. Mm-hmm. So but, – but what I do remember – that's definitely the most memorable moment. And you're like, damn, this guy is a force, but it was actually the set, the playoff game after that, when they went to Baltimore Mm -hmm. and lost where he was just amazing in that game. I thought, damn, like this is him getting his legs under him at the end of his rookie season. This, this guy looks like he's going to be something, but even then, like who could foresee 20 and a half sacks, I think twice in his career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, it didn't take long, much like JJ said in his in his farewell video, it didn't take long. Like, you know, he's still, He's still holding a little bit of heat in his pocket for the fans that boot upon draft day, which I respect. <laughs> yeah, but, and Steph, but, Steph but was it, talking it was about right it. after that, basically. <laughs> yeah, and Steph was talking about that on Twitter. She was like, I was there. It was two guys. They were drunk. And we asked them afterwards. Yeah. And they were very upset that they kept mentioning it because it was like a very small amount of people. And like, they were just, they were the just there. Ones. They were just there to be <laughs> brats. You know, they didn't know anything at all at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, well, it's funny. It's like that pick six in Cincinnati. He did that against Buffalo in 2014. And he did that this year against Detroit too, after almost doing against you know, New England multiple times the week before that. And it's like, yeah, like him being a former tight end, he has great hands and is just like a complete all around you know, defensive end too. I can't really think of any plays at all from his rookie year aside from that one. Again, like I wasn't watching the video. I wasn't like, you know, fully, fully all my brain wasn't fully formed yet that time. Um, but you're going into 2012, he had 20 half sacks, 39 tackles for a loss, 43 quarterback hits, four forced fumbles, 14 yeah, passes defense, uh, 13, <sighs> 10 half sacks, 22 tackles for a loss, 46 quarterback hits, 14, 20 and a half sacks, 22 tackles for a loss, 51 quarterback hits, 2015, 17 and a half sacks, 29 tackles for a loss, 50 quarterback hits in this four year run, uh, 69 sacks, 112 tackles for a loss, 190 quarterback hits. 15 forced fumbles and 39 passes defense. Um, what have you, like, I, this is like, again, I think Aaron Donald is Watts like 2014 season is by far the best defensive season. Anybody's ever played in the history of the game. Uh, but I do think Donald is like the better player overall, just because he's done it more consistently, especially playing as like a two eye and like Watt moved outside a lot and was able to get one more one versus one matchups. And like Watt doesn't necessarily create for other people like the way Donald has. Like Clay Matthews had eight sacks in Los Angeles last year. Leonard Floyd never had more than five, a ten and a half this year there. Um, so I think Donald like has had the better you know career, and I would say like Donald's better than Watt. But like Watt's 2014 season is far away um, the best season I've ever seen. I don't know about the Donald thing, and this is not just this is not just homerism. I I, I don't know if you have the uh, if you're able to pull any stats on Donald at your fingertips. Now we could do this. Maybe we could do this as part of the potential 24 hour marathon. But uh, I don't I don't feel like Donald has nearly the TFLs that Watt had. And you know I know this is not purely a statistical comparison necessarily, but everyone talks about sacks, mm-hmm. but. TFLs are essentially little mini sacks. You know, you lose maybe three, four yards, five yards, sometimes 10. If you have like a Josh Allen quarterback back there or, you know, Bortles run or Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> or running Case for his life. Yeah. So you take guys out of field goal range, you know, all that sort of thing. But I mean, a TFL is essentially a sack behind the line. And I don't, I don't, I could be wrong, but I don't think Donald 
is is necessarily no, no, he's nowhere that close. close. No, he's nowhere close to on, on the TFL. At all. So to me, that that bumps him. To me, to me, that bumps him ahead. And um, obviously, both guys are complete game changers. But it's funny because I can actually remember certain um, instances where where Watt literally saved a game by himself. I, there was a game against the Detroit Lions where they were getting in field goal range towards the end, and Watt got. I think two sacks in a row or one was a sack and one where he, he forced uh, a throw that was, that was, that was penalized for mm-hmm. uh, intentional grounding, took him out of field goal range and the Texans won the game. So, uh, you know, those, those, I'm not saying Donald doesn't have those kind of, those kind of plays, but I, I think the TFL stat is a little bit underrated in this situation. Yeah, it makes sense. And I'm, I'm just saying kind of more like longevity wise. Uh, yeah. And, definitely Don- health and, like, wise for sure. and Donald playing like a one and a two and a three, like you're not going to get as many, you know, uh, box score opportunities like wise have playing more outside that sort of thing. But just going back, like watching the video of Don like the last three years, like I think like his individual performance has been on par with Watt, like as far as like the flash plays go, and then just him being healthy for you know, not uh, seven straight seasons. Like every year he's been around, he's yeah. been productive and healthy, and so that's why. But like there, like Watt's peak though is greater than anybody else's peak. Um, that 14 season he had was like by far like the most incredible season I've ever seen. You from an individual athlete at all, and like as incre- as incredible as like the numbers are, the twenty half sacks, the fifty one quarterback hits, the forced fumbles, the passes defense. He had four touchdowns that year. He caught yeah. two. He had that uh, that fumble scooping score against Indianapolis, where he like was dodging underneath the red laser beams, like he was at art museum high stair <laughs> uh, to scoop that one that up was and score. Thursday night football, I think. Yeah, right? when yeah. they were they were down big, and uh, and he just completely obliterated Gosser Charles that night. And then yep. he also had the pick six against Buffalo in a game where he had zero sacks and 10 quarterback hits. And that's always been my favorite Watt performance because he just like went up inside, just crushed EJ Manuel game. And then had the pick six in the in the red zone to be able to turn that game around and, and win. And like he carried Houston nine wins that year, like single-handedly carried them. Um, and despite having Case Keem at quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, and uh, Ryan Mallett at quarterback, the Texans still won nine games, and it was a complete like failure by you know Brian and Rick Smith to not address the quarterback's position that year or the year after, and being forced to in sixteen when they redacted, and then finally trying to take Watson like they ruined Watts prime because of that. But I've never seen like a season like that before. I don't think anybody ever will, and it's like really hard to kind of describe like how incredible he was unless you were there watching like week in and week out every single week of how he just carried like. Uh, a team with zero quarterback play that was giving the ball to Alfred Blue 27, 30 times a game, and he was their offense as well as their defense that year. Yeah, the, I've actually got while we've been um, doing the pod here, I've got I've got a like twenty million a twenty minute JJ Watt highlight reel playing on YouTube um, on on mute. So I've been kind of like you know holding back tears watching that while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, he, he that twenty fourteen year. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It had all the incredible, it had all the incredible plays, the touchdowns. I mean, that has to make it, you know, my favorite season of his, um, as well. But the other reason that that was my favorite season of his is because in 2012, he had 20, 20 and a half sacks, Mm -hmm. all the TFLs and all that. And you think, damn, he probably has had his best season, you know, this early, he peaked so early. How could he possibly get better than this? And so you think, wow, like, especially as a Texans fan, like you get, you sort of get it hammered into your head that you can't ever have nice things. So when you do have them, you're just like, man, like this definitely isn't going to last, you know, this sort of repeating itself with Deshaun Watson right now. Mm-hmm. But, but, but the thing I loved about that 14 season is, okay, we got a guy who just for the second time in three years 
had 20 and a half sacks in a season. And it was sandwich, and, and between that was a ten and a half sack year. Yeah, in so, thirteen, which is kind of like slipped under the rug by how bad they were that year. And you know, his his defensive line were like his best pass rushers next to him was like Brooks Reed and Merciless had like seven sacks all because of Watt that year too. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, thanks for the contract, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I mean, for me as a fan, I remember back then. I remember, damn, like this guy. Oh, he's going to be a perennial Pro Bowler. Oh well, maybe he's going to be an actual perennial All Pro. And then when 14 came around, like this guy is on a Hall of Fame track and he's not stopping. I mean, yeah. this, it, so so it, it really, as a fan, it was just like, man, actually having a guy who's the best at his position in the league by far, it was unquestionably at the time the best defensive player in the league. And it wasn't even a question like that was very exciting, especially when it's a position where you get QB sacks, which, you know, arguably is the most impactful play, you know, that that you can have, you know, on, on the defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the, I mean, like his jersey is iconic. Number nine nine's iconic. Uh, like he's far away, like the best defensive player and the best player in franchise history too. I think my favorite thing about Watt that a lot will get lost, like no matter really kind of thing about this going forward, is that recovering fumbles isn't a skill. It's like a purely luck thing, unless you're JJ Watt and watch him play hungry, hungry hippo and like push guys over and steal the ball and have the ability to just like <laughs> echo locate it and know where it yeah. was and, and turn that into a skill was probably like the most underrated thing, thing part of his career because he had years where he had like five fumbles recovered. And again, it's not a skill recovering fumbles, but he was able to turn this kind of lucky thing into a skill because that's how great he was. Well, I think it's not a skill, but you also can prepare yourself for it by not immediately jumping on the ball and instead knowing that it's oblong and it's going to bounce one way or the other. So sort of timing the way you cover it. Uh, I, I, you can see even these highlights that I've been watching while doing this pod, I can, I can, I can see a couple of times where, you know, he doesn't just immediately leap on top of the ball. Like most guys do. He, he takes an extra beat to see if it's going to have that big bounce. So it doesn't square out of his hand. So I agree that's not a skill, but I think there are things that you can do to maximize your chance of recovering it. And he's one of the only guys who I've ever seen who, who actively does that. Yeah. I've, I've never seen a player like, who's been able to turn that into a skill. I guess it's kind of a better way to say like it, it isn't, it, us, it typically isn't, you know, whenever you look at the numbers, that sort of thing. Uh, but he's the only player I've ever seen who has turned that into a skill, which, you know, probably isn't and could be, but he's the only one I've ever seen yeah. actually be able to pull it off. Which he also did with the passes defense. Like mm-hmm. he, that, he changed the game. Like people were freaking out when he came up with his method of, okay, I'm not going to beat this guy to the quarterback. So instead of continuing to try to pull through him, I'm going to, set back a half a foot or so, keep my feet moving and then keep my eyes on the quarterback and then just leap up and swat the ball. Like that was, that was something that people talked about revolutionizing the game. And I mean, you really haven't seen, you've seen some other guys do that now since he's been in the league. Um, but you haven't really seen it be really prevalent among defensive linemen. So he, he, he was, he was an innovator with that and he can still do it. Yeah. And I, I'm trying to think of, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other guys who've been really good in that metric, you know, the past few years. And like nobody's been as like prolific as Watt has been. Like he's been absolutely incredible at, at that position as well too. It's like all these things that you really haven't kind of thought of. Um, he's been able to pull off and do as well too. So, what's your favorite moment of Watt's career? Uh, well, I got two. The obvious one is the one that I think, if you're being honest, is everyone's favorite, which is you know the the pick six against the Bengals. Not just because it was an amazing play, but because it was in their I think it was their very first playoff game. Uh, it resulted in a touchdown, and just the amount of concentration and skill to be able to pick it out of the air clean without tipping it up to himself. Just 
an incredible play that I, I probably watched on my DVR 200 times. <laughs> and, and, and also, like, I'm a junkie for uh, crowd pops in the NFL when the crowd just absolutely loses it. And that was one of the biggest ones I've ever, ever heard. Uh, maybe second only to the one you were talking about a minute ago when they were down against Indianapolis in mm-hmm. Houston. Uh, and he had that, that scoop uh, in return. Uh, but my other low-key favorite play of Watt's career, and I've brought it up to you before, so you're the only one that understands. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I, I, pull, I think I've pulled this clip for you like four times, you, too, over the years. You did. You did. And, and But just in case people listening haven't heard me talk about this before and my love for it, I don't know what year it was, but it was when Chance Warmack was a guard. Uh, uh, was he a guard? I think he was a guard. Yeah, he was a guard. For, for the Titans. And he, they were sort of in a war of words all week leading up to the game. It wasn't like severe, but I remember Warmack saying, you know, Watts just another guy, basically, I think is what his comment was. And so the Titans, it was in Tennessee. I believe this was the Zach Mettenberger era. And uh, the Titans went for a two-point conversion. And on this play, Watt was lined up nose to nose, you know, nose to nose across from Chance Warmack. Now, think about how big Chance Warmack is, a big offensive guard in the NFL. Think about how big J.J. Watt is, you know, 300-pound guy, six-foot whatever. Two huge guys set up inches from each other. The ball is snapped. J.J. gets around Warmack with barely even touching the guy. Imagine two big dudes in a phone booth getting around. One of them gets around the other when the other guy's objective is to stop him, and they barely even touch each other gets around him and stops the play and kills it. Just the most, to me, that was the most embarrassing piece of film I've ever seen for a lineman, other than the fact that it happened against J.J. Watt. So, you know, it happens to the best of them, Chance. <laughs> I love that play so much. Yeah, I mean, he really is just like, he like evaporates around Warmack. And I know he had the same sort of play too against the Giants that year on that two-point conversion to stop him also. Um, but yeah, that, that swim move was really like that swim move on the goal line and any sort of run stopping situations was really great. Um, the other thing they wrote earlier this year, whenever he had his hundredth sack on Jake Luton, someone back and watched every Watt sack since his career and kind of went back and ranked them all. And uh, it was kind of fun to see like how his pass rushing changed. Like he went from like a bull rush to a swim move guy, and then he went to like a, a long arm rip guy. And like as his career has changed, like his his game has changed too. Like as he's kind of lost like some of that like short yards quick get, quickness, he's like more like his, his length. Um, and then also just kind of give him on the exterior. It's like he's the only player I've ever seen who can be able to rush on the inside and the outside like he does. Like Donald has never been able to do that um, like Watt has too. And uh, like a complete all-around player, you know, complete, you know, Hall of Famer, um, iconic in every way too. Uh, my friend Sam, he was at that game in 2014 with the Watt scooping score, and he saw like the whole stadium shaked. He had never been like in any sort of environment like that. He thought the place was going to collapse. And then, of course, you know, Andre Johnson fumbled, Ryan Fitzpatrick fumbled, and they lost the game in 14 after the big comeback, too. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, every, like, it's going to be, again, like, I'm really, I'm kind of sad now, actually, now that we're talking about kind of thinking about some of these plays. But I, the devastation really won't hit until next year, whatever. It's Charles Omenehu and, uh, and, and Jonathan Green and Whitney Merciless and Ross Blacklock trying to get to the quarterback and have them fail spectacularly. Oh my God. To give the quarterbacks time to pick apart a bad secondary also just, Oh my God. Quarterbacks, <laughs> quarterbacks are going to have all day to pick apart the Texans secondary. Can you imagine? Oh man. Yeah. I, I think I could, I think I, I really, everybody's like, you cannot play a professional environment. No, I think you, I think what, we could give us a year to train. Give what me position one year. did you play when you played football? I played offensive tackle. 
Okay, wow. I'm a big, tall, lanky offensive tackle. Oh, wait. Were you a bigger dude when you were younger? Yeah, I weigh like 265 or so. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm, like a, so. I'm like a spelt 210 now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 have no, I have no doubt that you could at least complete a dump off to a running back. For sure. Give me a year. I just need one year <laughs> of like learning the offense and learning how to throw in shoulder pads. Give me a year, yeah. and I can, throw, I can take on this Texan secondary. I mean, if a preacher can destroy a franchise in less than one year, you could certainly of complete a dump-off pass in a year. Well, and that's the other thing about Eastbury, too. Like, it's hard for me to entirely hate Eastbury because he's the American dream. Like, he's the embodiment. Right? <laughs> yes. Don't let anybody tell it, you you can't do something if, it, if it's he impressive. can run a football team. Yeah. Yeah. The, the word impressive, I guess, has a, a connotation to it but because, you know, what he's doing is not a good thing. But it's also impressive. It's very impressive. Like I, my dream was to work in sports. Like whenever I was younger, that sort of thing. Like I went and worked for a baseball team. You know, I've been riding. You know, was riding for a long time. But that's sort of aspiration. It's like I think it's very difficult to do. And for him to be able to get in with like the University of South Carolina and then New England and then come to Houston to become a general manager. Um, like, you know, I can't give him enough credit. Like he's done an incredible job at this insane thing that he's been able to do, but I completely confuse people with these, like, I mean, he's not even clever. Like nothing he says is interesting. Nothing he says is good at all. It's not captivating, but, uh, for whatever reason, he's been able to have some sort of lure, you know, from everybody from like Bill Belichick to Casario to McNair to where we're at today. Yeah. The thing that confuses me is his time in new England, which I can only assume he literally only was, you know, the high five coach. And the spank on the butt coach like that. The, the only way that a franchise as well run as the Patriots could possibly, you know, exist the way they did with Easterby in the building, I, I assume, is just because he was actually limited to that role. And, you know, once he got here, the praying began, <laughs> the prayer circles, the the grabbing people's hands in the building and just asking, you know, your boss asking you if I can pray for you. Uh, sh- sure. I mean, boy. So. Uh, Man, I, there should be an indeed, an indeed commercial for Houston Texans where it's like you need another <laughs> job and like you're like a custodian is just trying to like you know, mop the floors and he keeps getting prayed with and he finds uh-huh. like the job of his lifetime, you know, somewhere else, you know. Yeah, because I mean, you know, we, we've all like take the taking the religious aspect out of this completely. We, we've all known people who have that. You know, I think as Steph Stradley coined it, that that toxic positivity that it just doesn't it just doesn't matter. You know, you could just someone could just walk up to you in the street and just kick you square in the balls as hard as they could and just like greet them with a smile. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll take that in stride, buddy. Your <laughs> gifts and your treasures. And uh, it's it's so exhausting. And I mean, people that speak in, you know, little sayings and proverbs like uh, I, I know it resonates with some people, but I, I feel like there's a larger sect of people that, that just has no effect on that's. And that's why like this whole character coach thing, I, I tweeted about this and I'm curious if you feel the same way, the whole character coach thing. I, I don't have a problem with that as a concept. I mean, I do, but I know that football is not the same as a corporate office. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I do not do comparisons. Yeah, it's to, insane. I, I don't do comparisons. But your sales for, job is nothing like it. What it's like to be yeah, like a, a Hall right. of Fame wide receiver. I don't ever want to hear that. If, if this was my job, I wouldn't fire. I, I don't ever want to hear it. They have nothing. Apples and oranges does not illustrate the differences. So uh, I don't have an, a problem with the concept of a character, character coach on a team as long as it's 100% optional. Mm-hmm. If the guy is going to get required time to talk to these guys or they have to meet with him, whatever, that is just the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I, so as, as long as it's optional. Yeah. You know, and, and I kind of doubt that it is. 
Oh, for sure. Like you're, you probably have like, you have two separate in meetings and you look at your goals, you have your football goals and then your character development goals. And you have yeah. to talk with Jack about those too. And, and you forget Chris, like getting kicked in the balls isn't a painful experience. It's just a opportunity <laughs> to get better. Yeah. It's a, it's an opportunity <laughs> to build your character. And how do you yeah. adjust? How do you, how do you come back from that? Well, next time you get kicked in the balls, you know how to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And see, that's the thing that like, just, just a quick, quick, I promise a quick tangent. If I was, if I was Deshaun Watson, like one of the ways that I might treat this is, yeah, I'll come back for training camp. Like I'll come back as soon as Jack Easterby shows up on the practice field. I walk off the field. Mm-hmm. If he shows up in a meeting room. I walk off the field. If I can see him, if he's anywhere within my sight, I, I walk off and I go somewhere else. Like I, I think were I Deshaun, I like I'm not trying to put this on him because he's doing the smart thing and he's looking and he's seeing what's happened with these other players' careers with this franchise and he can see the writing on the wall with how Easterby is. But it would also sort of appeal to me a little bit to be the guy who sort of pulled them out of this. Yeah. So rather than demand a trade, I would just like go to the owner and say, look, man, like it's literally him or me. And yeah. I don't, we, don't, we don't know if he's actually done that. Like mm-hmm. it can be implied, but we don't know if he's actually done that. And then just anytime the guy is anywhere close to him, I'm walking away. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And like that's kind of been my frustration about – you know, I think this team last three years where it's like Laramie Tensel's trade for, and people still say that was a good trade and a smart decision. You know, Jadavion Klein gets traded for nothing. That was a good decision. Getting DeAndre Hopkins trade is going to sprout the offense, and Brandon Cooks is like a, a number one wide receiver, which he isn't. And, you know, Watson is better this year because he did have Hopkins so he can spread the field, which is just a really good quarterback even better because he's only 25 years old, not because they trade Hopkins. And they yeah. were 0-4 to start the year because of their red zone problems, which is a good example of why DeAndre Hopkins is very valuable. Um, so all these things occurring, like the press did not do a good enough job. The I think the fan base, like, accepted and kind of turned, so, like, this team is still going to be good because they won games. And I, I don't think the press did. I don't think the players did a good job. You know, kind of like, uh, talking about like why this stuff doesn't make any sense and all how they've hurt the team and like again I, and the press hasn't as well I've like they didn't hammer Bill Bryan enough for these decisions that were made and like this is why we're at the point that we're at like this is nothing new it's all a continuation of the previous decisions that were made and I just think there are there are a lot of people that like didn't see this coming well enough and didn't do enough to to do anything to stop it from happening and now we're here where you know Watson's gonna get traded and Watts gone there's like nothing left at all. And it's a direct result of all of those previous poor decisions from the last three years. Sure. And I, and I think like I can give the media and fans sort of a pass on that because when it was happening, you sort of, I, I won't like we were all sort of surprised that McNair cut O'Brien loose as soon as he did. I, I think we all sort of expected that best case scenario, he would be traded or he would be um, fired after the season. But when all these decisions were being made and you keep hearing it's Easterby and O'Brien, it's Easterby and O'Brien. Well, O'Brien is the football guy. So we naturally were putting probably 90% of that fault on O'Brien because he was the football guy, not knowing that Easterby had as much say as he did on the football side. So I can understand mm-hmm. why people didn't raise a bigger fuss about it because I think we all sort of knew that. Well, and I think too, the team, the team was going 10, six and like they're going to yeah. because of this, 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 and this, it wasn't a good team at all. It was a team that was raised by like Watson one score games by playing teams of bad quarterbacks where they had a really great run defense that they rely upon. There were reasons why they were 10 and six. And because of the record that they were, he was able to hide behind it, but it was a very faulty and kind of like a fool's gold record. And it all kind of fell apart this year. I think that's a, a big part of it too. And also I like, don't ever forget like Bill O'Brien brought Easterby to Houston and this yeah. all starts with Bill O'Brien. This is all his fault and he's going to get a pass because the team's going to be bad the next two years. Um, but this is all his fault and all kind of stems from the decisions that he's made the last three years here. 
it, it is all his fault. But at the same time, you know, once he's gone, you have to be able to trust the people in charge. And by that, I mean, Cal McNair mm-hmm. to realize what needs to, you know, he, he is ultimately responsible for the final product, no matter what. Yeah. So the, I, that's, that's why I think, you know, people, people are already getting tired of the bitching and crying about, about Jack Easterby, but I don't think people understand how, historically unprecedented this situation is like this the, i don't know of this ever happening in the sports world certainly not the nfl world he he i think like i said i think people mostly blamed o'brien for that stuff because it was just assumed okay well he's the football guy football guy no no one i don't think anyone ever thought that yeah. easterby had literal 50 percent responsibility for this stuff we just assumed it was o'brien and then eventually when o'brien was gone you know easterby might stick around whatever but he's not going to be in a football capacity turns out you know, obviously he's, as we know now, Rasputin. So I, I, I think people are already starting to lose sight of how historically incompetent and unbelievable this situation is, not just from the power sharing from O'Brien and Easterby and the effect Easterby had, but how that's continued along with, you know, Watson wanting a trade and how mm-hmm. a quarterback of his stature and in his situation, his age and his ability has wanted, wants out and is likely going to get out. It's never happened before. Yeah, no, it hasn't. And, I mean, it's it's all ridiculous to get it. We all keep coming back to this point of it. And like with Watt, like, you know, the Texans should have traded him, but like I'm happy for Watt. I'm glad that he's able to be in a spot where he can pick and choose where he wants to play. And like sure. he has the chance to get out of this mess, you know. And there are a lot of teams that are going to want him. Um, where do you think Watt ends up signing, and who do you want him to play for next year? Uh, You know, I, I want him to play for whoever can actually get him a Super Bowl ring. So... I think of a team like, like I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to be one of those guys who now the league has figured out. Um, he has to learn how to throw the ball down the sideline, and he hasn't yeah, done it for two years now. So he can, I, I think he can do it. He just hasn't learned how to do it. And he hasn't enough work to. He hasn't put the work in to do it either. Yeah, and I mean, e- even if the league figures out Lamar Jackson, that offense for the most part has still been really good, except towards the end of last season in the playoffs. Obviously, it got shut down. So. I, I love Baltimore as a destination for JJ, but I'm afraid maybe the league has figured out the Baltimore offense enough that they may not be in the conversation next year. Um, as far as like the final couple of, uh, teams in, uh, you know, in the AFC championship game, um, Buffalo, I think would be an interesting spot mm-hmm. for JJ, uh, with their defense already uh, the way it is. Um, I, I, for the story, I guess, I guess the Packers, I don't know how close the Packers, you know, I got, I follow the Texans. So I, I know Aaron Rodgers was great this year. I don't know. And maybe, you know, you, you watch the whole league a lot more than I do. So do you feel like the Packers run was kind of fluky this year? Or do you feel like they could be right back in the thick next year? Cause I mean, sure. I'd love the story of him going to the Packers. Yeah, I don't think they were fluky this year. I think their offense this year was a lot different than it was in 19. I think 19, they were fluky. Last year, they weren't. I think Matt LaFleur learned a lot from the bad decisions he made in 19, how to develop like a really great and balanced offense for Aaron Rodgers. I think Rodgers kind of bought in that, bought in that system too. But like defensively, they were you know very average. Uh, a lot of that had to do with Kenny Clark being hurt, but he was a werewolf down the stretch. And mm-hmm. so with Clark and Zadaria Smith is like, if Jadavion Clowney had the box score production, Preston Smith was abhorrent this year, just like lazy, had no definition on his arms, like Dallas shape. Um, and they have like Lowry on the inside, but like, I think Watt could play in green Bay, but I think in green Bay, he'd have to play more of every down roll potentially. Yeah. And so like, that's the only thing I don't necessarily like about him in green Bay, but I think green Bay is going to be back in again next year because this year wasn't fluky. Last year was fluky. And they made the off season. They made like the, the, 
offensive playbook decisions, the changes that they need to make to make sure that 2020 wasn't fluky. And that was why they're able to combat the regression that they were facing going into the, uh, last year. Because again, like they punted on their offseason. They didn't get better last offseason. I see. Yeah. So, I mean, just for the whole like career coming full circle, I, I like Green Bay. But but like you said, I, I would love to see him go to a situation where he was, you know, both situational and part of a defensive line that already had some great talent on it. So I don't know if that puts, you know, the Packers really near the top there. So, uh, I mean, I think I know in Tampa, um, not the same position, but like Shaq Barrett may not be back. I don't think Sue is likely to be back. I, I mean, him, him on that line would be interesting. I'd, I'd love to see him, you know, play on that team. They mm-hmm. seem like they're probably a good choice to go back to the Super Bowl next year, or at least make a deep run. Um, you know, and then obviously there's the other obvious one, which I think, you know, you say this about every player who do you want him to move on to. I mean, there's always Kansas city. Um, I don't know how well he fits on that team, but when you have a player, of the caliber of JJ, and of course, you know, it's that thing with NFL coaches, they feel like they can make any situation work if you yeah. just have the talent. So, um, I think that, you know, that would be a fun one to see. <laughs> I hope it's not an AFC South team, but like I said, I was still, you know, I don't think any of those teams are legit contenders anyway. So I think they're out, you know, even if the Titans are interested, I, I don't see them as legitimate Super Bowl contenders. So mm-hmm. I really hope he's limiting it to teams where he legitimately thinks for real that they can win a Super Bowl. Like, like we talked about Pittsburgh too, you know, the uh, not so much on the whole brothers aspect, but just the fact that he could join a team and make that defense yeah, potentially but- historically great and then just do what they can with their offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that as well. Um, I think like, you know, Buffalo's great. I can see Buffalo. I can see Pittsburgh. I think Baltimore's Baltimore makes sense too. They just get like a lot of veteran defensive players. Like having him and Calais Campbell on the same yeah. defensive line just, be like be like a fun Madden thing from 2015 or whatever. They, yeah, they just seem like they have really solid defensive coaching in Baltimore. They have a great course, culture. You know, like the and culture. Anthony Weaver is back there too, and he likes Anthony Weaver. So yeah, and like the culture everybody talks like the Texans want to have. Like they people mention Baltimore, they mention New England, and like Baltimore is a great culture. Like they just go then they play football. And uh, that's all they kind of care about there. Uh, I think the Titans make sense. Kansas City makes sense. And like the thing about Kansas City is interesting. Like if you want to win a ring, you go to Kansas City. But also like Spagnuolo does a really good job. They have a ton of defensive linemen that they ro- that they rotate a lot of. And like they're definitely a team where they would just use a lot purely as a mm-hmm. pass rusher. I think he have a lot of success there too. Green Bay makes sense. New Orleans makes sense. Tampa makes sense. And I think Seattle, Los Angeles makes sense too. So there's like ten teams. Uh, out there that would make sense for a while. And I think even San Francisco can make sense also if they improve the quarterback position. And I think they'll be able to compete again next year right away. So I think there's about like 11 teams out there he can go to that would like, you know, be a much better spot than Houston. He had a chance to play for a contender next year on. And, and I just wonder too, like, I, w- I wonder if it's entered his thinking about choosing his next team to actually, even though this happens so quickly before free agency and all that, like maybe to wait and see where the dust settles for on sure. all this, all this quarterback movement that's about to go on. You know, t- to me, I feel like J.J. for sure, like you can call it ring chasing or whatever, but he, uh, that guy, no matter what anyone says, has always been all about winning and wanting a Super Bowl. And he he is not going to sleep as well at night if he doesn't win a ring. You know, he's one of those rare guys. A lot of guys say that, but I think he's one of those guys who actually lives it and breathes it. So if I were him and it was really about getting the ring, I would kind of wait for the dust to settle on all this quarterback movement and then make my, my decision. 
Yeah, I think that's a great point. Also, just seeing where like teams how how they go about this off season too. You know, it's not just the quarterback positions. Like which teams are investing. Like you're even though 2020 just happened, like a lot of changes in the off season and the NFL. Like you know, one off season can can dramatically change a football team too. And so I think also like just seeing which players sign where, what decisions they make. Um, how these new head coaches kind of seem like, how these new general managers kind of seem like too, and kind of bounce off from there. Unless he's like, I want to go back home and play in Green Bay and in there, or that there's some sort of emotional attachment to that or Pittsburgh. But I think for sure, like if he wants to win, um, that should factor in on it too. Like if you want to see Watt win a championship, Kansas City is the best spot to go. I think emotionally Pittsburgh and Green Bay makes sense. Personally, I like to see him play in Buffalo. I love the uniforms there. I really want to see Buffalo win a title. I think he'd be great there. Like Buffalo had problems rushing the pass r- passer with their front four. Like they had like a really deep pass rush with you know Jefferson, Espinoza, um, and you know, Mario Addison and Ed Oliver mm-hmm. and all these guys and Jerry Hughes. They had like a deep pass rush. They just think it's the quarterback much this year. I'm like 19. And I think Watt would be pr- like a slam dunk player to be able to come out there and just rush the passer and kind of play for more of an unknown team that would be you'd be fun to be on. Um, I kind of want to see him in Tennessee too, just as like F you the Texans. No, but no, no to the Colts though. I absolutely hate the Colts. If he goes to Indy, I, I hope he plays zero games next year, and uh, <laughs> I wish nothing but bad things on him if he goes to Indianapolis. But any other team, I'm happy that he's in a spot where he can. You know, not it's not even just like winning a title. It's like playing important and fun and meaningful football games again after like going through a season where like it's just hard to even go out there to practice. You know, when you're start, when you're at like you know four and eleven in the spots that they were in last year. Sure, sure, yeah, and and back on the Buffalo thing, that was the first team I think I mentioned in this in this last little spurt of discussion of where JJ could go. And I think another important thing there is that unexpectedly, you know, Brian Dayball is going to be back there. Mm-hmm. So you know, there, there's that uncertainty with Josh Allen because he was bad and then he was great, and then so you start naturally wondering, eh, is it the quarterback? Is it the offensive system? Is it both? You know, it's always a little bit of everything. So the fact that he's back again next year. I think would go a long way uh, for, for JJ too. Uh, you know, assuming that, I, that again, that he's thinking about this as hard as we are, I, yeah. you know, he, he's even said it himself about Deshaun, you know, when you have an elite quarterback, you can win any game, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's true unless, you know, you're the Texans of last year when they went four and 12, but uh, in general, we agree with that premise. So yeah. I, I hope he waits to see what happens because, you know, now there's uncertainty with, you know, Russell Wilson and obviously the Deshaun situation. Like I, I would love for uh, Deshaun and JJ to end up on the same team. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that could happen too. Uh, I also, the other thing about Buffalo is they have Bean as their general manager. He's one of the best general managers in the league also. And I think he can make the spiel to like get him up there if it requires it. I know the last team that hasn't really been talked about, but if you go back to emotional heartstrings, is his wife plays soccer in Chicago. And so you could potentially see him play in Chicago maybe too if he wants to you know, be uh, in the immediate vicinity of his old lady or like even, you know, Green Bay's not that far from Chicago as well too. So I think it yeah. could lend itself to like him going up north as well um, at the same time. It, but there's a lot of places he can go though. If I had to place a bet, my bet would be on the Packers. Yeah. If I had to. Yeah, that'd be my bet too. I would say Green Bay one. Um, I would say Kansas City two. Or I would say Green Bay one, Pittsburgh two, Kansas City three, and then probably Tennessee four. But I want to see him in Buffalo. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd I'd like to see him in Buffalo as well. I think that'd be a great match, and he could take that he could take that defense up to you know a new level. That that defense seems to be pretty well coached. They've got some good talent, and man, just 
you know, and JJ just kind of seems like he needs to be in a cold weather city to me for, for sure. I think so too. Uh, yeah. well, and also the thing about Tennessee, like I don't think Mike Vrabel's a good defensive coordinator, but everybody uh, plays for Vrabel loves him. And like a lot of ex Texans love Vrabel and like Jadavion went to side sign there. Joseph side sign there. No, um, they constantly get players like that back in Tennessee too. And so like I could like, I think and like lot never seen anything bad about it just, but because of that connection, I think Tennessee could be a dark horse too. And like I do think they're a Super Bowl contending sort of team, um, but they have to get better defensively. And uh, so I mean I could see that as being that's why they're my fourth spot there as well. I'm just going to continue ignoring anytime you bring up the Titans. <laughs> uh, so we had some listener questions for this morning, and then we'll end today's show. Uh, the first one's from at Fire Cal McNair, which uh, seems very pressing <laughs> for the time. But he said a, re- oh. a recent account, I'm sure. I think it's just somebody who's followed me before that changed his at uh, for that. Okay. But he, he really got it. He was able to get in there early on. Yeah. But uh, over under 10 former Patriots slash white religious players signed by the Texans this offseason. Ooh. Players? Oh, man. That's that's a tough one. Um, 10's a lot. 10's well, a we're lot. At, we're gonna, at one right now with Paul Questenberry. I'm going to say under, but but I, I'm going to go with a cheat and add it, and it's going to be over when it comes to adding you know front office guys. Okay. And if we, inc- if we include practice squad, I think no doubt over. Uh, if we sure. don't, it's just really hard to get 10 guys just like that. Uh, I would like to see Alan Butler in Houston, though. He's very good. I think he'd be a good interior pass rusher <laughs> if you want to talk about like a world where they actually make football decisions and they're trying to be a good football team. Uh, but I think Alan Butler is going to be a good free agent signing for somebody this year. <laughs> He's the only former New England Patriot. I'm, I'm a fan of for this offseason. I'll be watching for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like DeLon Smoot a lot, too, if you, need a, if you need an interior pass rusher as well. The next question is from at F4. Nina, which is fan I know, as he's been banned on Twitter constantly over the last like four years or so. We've been yeah. posting them online, but he asked, uh, when they trade to Sean, how long before Chris starts writing about the Titans again? Well, I know fan does not like me on these podcasts, so he's not even going to hear this. So I'll just say, <laughs> just for that comment, I, I, I hope that he gets banned again, and I'm going to report that tweet. <laughs> uh, well, and then River said, you know, Chris and Mac wrote the Titans together, which, you know, Look, I just like the game. I like the mid zone. The Titans <laughs> run it really well. There's a lot of things I love about the Titans, and I'm excited to watch the Titans again next year. And I'm interested to see what they do this offseason too. So, when it, whenever the world's as dark as it is for the Texans, you have to find sources of light externally, and this I've been doing for the last three years. And it kind of guided my heart to exotic meth mouth football, Mike Malarkey, to now this mid zone play action team, which is going to be manifesting in Atlanta as well too, with uh, I, Arthur Smith going over there. Man, but on the Titans though, like Derek Hen- Henry. If you remember back in our our uh, like in our fantasy football interactions, you were trying to trade for him with me for a couple of years, and I kept hanging on to him, kept hanging on to him, and it, finally it paid off. But man, as much as they run him, it just seems like it just seems like they're on borrowed time, where that guy has just been run to a nub for two years and he stayed healthy. I don't know about another one, man. I, I don't know about that. Yeah, it is. Well, it's like it's that by still in their passing offense can get better, and really the big question is like how they how they what they do without Arthur Smith there because he was a enormous reason for why their offense was as great as it was. And, like, there's all these little, like, tweaks they did to their outside zone game that were despicable. And uh, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to – they had a big brain drain there. And also, like, they don't have a defensive coordinator at all with Vrabel. And finally got one this year, but it's like Vrabel's still going to have his fingers all over the defense. And he's never shown ability to be, like, a good defensive architect. He's always <laughs> been, like, a leader of men. You cut your dick off for him. But not a, not a great <laughs> defensive mind, though. Uh, our next question is from at Confused Lefty. 
So which punter will Houston be picking with the first overall pick in 2021 to continue this train wreck? Jokes aside, what college prospects may be the best option to kick off the rebuild with the first overall pick? <laughs> well, that's kind of goes back to the conversation we were having earlier. I do not follow the college game at all. Yeah, I don't, I, do, I, I don't really get into the NFL draft as much as I used to. So I, in short, my answer is I have no idea. But in broad terms, I can say that from what I've read, apparently this upcoming quarterback class is head and shoulders above the potential quarterback class in 2021, which mm-hmm. gets us back to should they trade Deshaun you know, this year or should they hold steady? So, you know, I assume if they end up getting a top pick for Deshaun that they're going to pick a quarterback, but I, I, you know, will they pick the right quarterback? Will they even pick a quarterback? I don't know. I guess, you know, my answer sadly for next year with the first overall pick is going to be, you know, the most bland religious (laughs) guy available. So sorry for falling into the group think, but until I'm, until we're proven wrong, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Who's the, who's the quarterback for Notre Dame? Cause that's who they'll pick in the first round. And he'll be like projected to be a six round pick and the Texans will take him <laughs> one overall. Yeah. Back to smart, tough, dependable. I remember like one of the first sentences out of David Cully's mouth when they did the press conference. Oh, I couldn't believe it. He started with smart, tough. He didn't go with the dependable, but I think he said smart and tough. And I just like, I, I had a mini stroke on site before we got to the end of that. So oh, it's like, oh, well, we're just continuing with the same regime again. I'm trying to think what's that calling you mini strokes to call like uh, ATBs or something like that. There's some, there's a medical term for little mini strokes that you can have. And I know exactly oh. what you mean. Well, um, whatever they are, I had about six of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also Rivers found that clip of Nick Casario, like taught like from like the new England Patriots path to the draft sort of thing. And he's like addressing his staff and he talks about tough, smart, dependable. And I'm like, just blow my brains out. You know, it's, it's completely yep. ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I mean like 2022, they should have the first overall pick this year. I mean, without first and second round pick, like the only good thing about trading Watson is that it'd be very easy for Bal Red blog to find articles to publish. <laughs> would be the only good thing about uh, trading Watson. So we can just public publish mock drafts all year and then make it to next season. Oh, uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't know enough about the college game at all especially for this year, let alone next year. And I haven't dove into it all. I made a little bit, but I kind of would rather read um, about, you know, I don't know, the desert and the Illuminati and whatever else I feel like reading about the time. Uh, so our next question here is from at my underscore name, underscore a underscore Pete. Do you my think, name is Pete. <laughs> do you think the NFL will bring in a rule that requires owners to vote in to, do you think the NFL? It's hard, I'm crossing right now. It's hard to read this. Do you think the NFL will bring in a rule that will require owners to vote in handing down a franchise? <laughs> no, <laughs> a bunch of a bunch of guys. I'm, I'm several of which were handed all their success in life by their fathers. Uh, are going to come in and rule on something like this? I'm not saying that they had the franchises handed down to them, but a lot of the guys who were owners already are rich because their family was rich. Not all of them, but some of them. Uh, so, so no, I, I, I would, I would, however, like them to, um, bring in some kind of rule to intervene on this whole idea of, you know, trading your, uh, star quarterback and, you know, avo- avoiding turning the NFL into the NBA. And I know like I'm, I'm I mostly, hate it so much. I'm mostly a, a power to the players kind of guy. And I am in this situation too, but man, when it actually happens to you, like if this is happening to any other team, I would just be like, yeah, man, get that guy out of there. He deserves better. But now that it's actually happening to me, <laughs> I'm just like, man, can we have something good come from this? You know, I mean, free market, let it set itself. I get all that. And these guys, you know, of all the pro athletes, I think they have the least amount of power. So, mm-hmm. you know, more power to them. And I want Deshaun to succeed and all that. But 
I, I would love for someone to just come in and, you know, it's essentially the, the 25th amendment for the NFL, right? Like this guy's not fit to serve. Let's get him out of there. That, yeah, that's yeah. what I would like to see. <laughs> I uh I hate it. Like I understand the like the players have more control over where they go, but they have the one thing I want the NFL to get rid of is the franchise tag. I think the franchise tag is stupid, especially for a game where the players have such short careers as they are. It's like limit the ability for a player to hit the open market and get like the guaranteed money that they need to have to like set themselves up for the future. I think is ridiculous that they have the franchise tag like it does. But I, I don't know. I hate the the player mobility stuff. I think it sucks. I don't. I wonder, and also like, I wonder how much of this is like real, and how much of it is the NFL like media and reporting trying to create this landscape of player mobility, create like a level of in, another layer of intrigue in the league for the offseason that hasn't really existed before on part the NBA. Like the NBA, nobody even cares about basketball. They just care about the idea of like, oh, what if this guy goes here and this guy goes here and that guy goes there and how cool would that be? Oh my God. And then like reality happens. It's like, this isn't fun. Like this isn't interesting. There's yeah. nothing enjoyable about this all whatsoever. And it's like all this stuff is like, it's fun to imagine in March, but who cares whenever the season rolls around? The, re- the reality very rarely ever meets like the expectations whenever the sort of stuff goes on. So like Deshaun Watson, you know, this and being traded is it interesting to me. I think it sucks. And I think it's stupid. And, like I like the fact that the NFL doesn't have um, that same like you know player crusading to go play with his buddies in, because they all hang out in Florida or whatever. Like I don't I don't enjoy that aspect of it. And I hope this is like not happening and Watson doesn't get traded. But I hope if Watson does get traded, doesn't open that door for every single quarterback now has like a, a path out or every wide receiver does and everything else. And I just haven't enjoyed reading about the saga at all. And it sucks and it's stupid. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I, I hope it doesn't become the norm, even if I am, you know, very, very pro player. It's just it's just it's bad for the overall experience. And I think there's obviously a growing number of people who who root for the number, you know, for the for the name on the jersey, on the yeah. back of the jersey rather than the front of the jersey. I get that, and I'm one of those guys too. But I mean, what do you have if if fans can't remain try to remain loyal to their hometown team? I mean, that that's mm-hmm. kind of the whole thing. It's like the best part about sports. Any anytime I talk to a sports a person who's not a sports fan who actually doesn't understand what it is that's good about sports, like I don't, I don't try to change their mind. I just say, look. If you can't understand one thing about sports and you don't understand why there's any value to it, like there, there's, there's a communal experience for it that I think is a very usually a very positive interaction. Yeah. So I, I won't take it. I'm not going to actually take it to the actual things that happen in, in, in the sport or the mechanics of any game. I'm just going to say to them, like there, there's a there's a there's a very positive communal experience that brings some people together that otherwise wouldn't have been brought together mm-hmm. without sports. And and if you start to lose that, then you know what are we even doing here? Yeah, I mean, if you think about these big seasons they play in too, like there's really like no sense of community at all, like in the world that we live in. Like sports provides some level of community and like tie like a city together better than like what like a, a park does or a museum does. Like a sports franchise does that better than anything else can and creates like that level of community like you're talking about too. And like for me, like I don't live in Houston, like I never have, I never will, I don't think. Uh, I have no ties to the city of Houston, but you know, like being a sports fan, me is just like it's been an enrichment in my life. Like it accentuates yeah. my experience of being alive, and uh, like I, I have a lot of good things that I've a lot of things that I've really have enjoyed about watching. A lot of bad things about it, um, and in some sense, like I think there's a time loss involved with it too. But you know, I can imagine where I don't watch sports. I can imagine where where I'm watching sports, not watching you know the Houston Texans, but. Um, you know, like I've, I've enjoyed being a sports fan in the time I've been alive. And again, like it's been like accentuation. It's not like my entire life at all. It's just enriched, right. you know, my life. And, and it, I have like a very good relationship with it. Um, 
you know, as far as that portion it goes to. But yeah, I hate the player mo- movement stuff. I think it's gone too far in the other direction, and it really kind of loses its luster in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I, I think what you brought up there is is an important thing about about how much you know sports in general dominates your life, and this could be a completely different you know subject on a pod sometime, which I think is very interesting, and I think a lot of people have a lot of opinions on. When I was an Oilers fan, when I was younger. I mean, it, it, it would ruin my week when mm-hmm. the Oilers would lose. It would totally ruin my week. And when they would win, it would be great. Now, of course, I was a kid who didn't have a lot of responsibilities back then. But it, it did uh, – it, it, I won't say – well, yeah, I think it, it dominated my life more than I wanted it to. And you know, now I'm an adult with responsibilities and you know, super real things happening in my personal life. And I have a very healthy relationship with my teams, which is, you know, when they win, it does kind of make my day and it makes me a little bit happier during the week. But when they lose, it does not affect me at all beyond the actual game. And I think if most people could get into that mode, it's a, it's a yeah. very healthy, it's a very healthy place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's just sports at the end of the day. It's just sports. And it's like, it's things that you have no control over. Like the last time I think yeah. I got upset over a Texans game was in 11 when they lost the Patriots Monday night football by like 37 points. And I remember I like, through my through like a spiral at the wall <laughs> i was very upset and the next day i was like that's embarrassing there's no way to act at all and then also after the texas rangers world series loss it's like that's the bottom like i can't feel yeah. any worse than that and uh, nothing's gonna hurt as much as that does and so like since then like you can't even hurt my feelings at all anymore yeah and but- uh, and like it, i don't get upset when they when they lose and whenever they win, like it's not, uh, I don't know. Like I just, I just like watching the game more than I get caught up with the win loss and how it makes, I, I don't get emotional over like the win loss stuff as much as I used to at all. I, I don't either. And, and I get infinitely more, you know, invested and upset in things that happen off the field. Like the angriest I've ever been during my time as a Texans fan was when they traded uh, Clowney. And mm-hmm. then it was when they traded, and then it was when they traded DeAndre Hopkins and now it's, it's these entire several, yeah, it's, it's, it's these entire months when they're thinking about and eventually will trade Watson like that, that, that bothers me infinitely more than anything that's ever happened on the field. Um, but it doesn't dominate my life, man. Like, and, and I, I really, I feel I, I legitimately, I'm not trolling. I, I legitimately feel bad for people that, that don't have the balance in their life that can't, you know, have them be otherwise happy because mm-hmm. their team is bad. I feel bad for them and I feel bad for their girlfriends and their wives too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the girlfriends and wives that they don't have because of how, how, <laughs> right. how that goes about the other way uh, yeah. and vice versa. But yeah, I mean like even that Kansas city game, like I got roped in a little bit, but the entire time is like, I still am not buying this, even though they're up 24 oh, zero no. and the Never. whole thing fell apart. Like that was the one chance I could have been really hurt by this team. Yeah. Uh, and it never happened at all because I've scabs in my heart and I know how bad this defense was and yeah. everything else, you know. And there and there were football reasons too. Like you could see in that first half, Travis Kelsey was dropping passes. There were dumb mistakes happening like that. You know, I, I know it just sounds like cynical fan, but at no point did I ever feel comfortable during that 24 to zero. Never, ever. Now, I didn't expect Kansas City to rip off 21 or 51 straight points or however many it was, but but that never felt like a comfortable you know, situation for me. Like I, my, you know, I, as, as listeners and readers of the blog know, I was, I was in person for the Buffalo game. So <laughs> like, you can't, you can't hurt me. You, you just yeah. you can't, you can't hurt me. I, I was at, I was in the stadium for Oilers bills, historical comeback. I, I, I cannot be injured by anything that happens on the football field. Yeah. Robert Ori hit a three pointer in Chris Weber's face on a chase down. And I, you can't hurt my feelings. Though. He's in Texas. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, like in that game too. Like the only thing I got excited about in that game was Barcavis Mingo's block punt, 
And I was like, maybe change David Clowney was the right decision. Maybe Bill O'Brien oh, no, is a genius. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I'm like, yeah, this whole thing sucks. And like, no, nah, that that was Easterby reaching through and putting his hand in your brain. No, that was you were not you were not excited about that. Easter Easterby got uh, God gave Easterby a reach around, but his hand was a monkey's <laughs> paw instead of his actual palm, and and then everything came down after that. Uh, so our our last listener question was from at Steph Stradley. And she said, I have no question. I just want to say I love y'all and I'm glad to know you. And this sounds like a funeral <laughs> or like a spaceship going out to Mars and is it going to come back yes. to Earth at all? And so I hope Steph keeps riding. I hope she's still around. But uh, I can see like a lot of people kind of drop off. But like I'm, I know I have at least one more year of me of doing this, of riding and doing the podcast and stuff. But I think a lot of people are going to – I can't imagine Steph dropping off, but like she does, I can understand. But I think a lot of the Texans fans are going to drop off are the people who aren't necessarily Texans fans, but Deshaun Watson fans. And yeah. so I think it's going to be a lot quieter and a lot emptier as everybody just moves from the Texans to whoever Deshaun Watson trades to. Because I, I for sure think that um, there's this new wave of fandom in the last five years or so that isn't tied to the misery and how dumb and stupid this team is, you know? Yeah, so in our discussions earlier about uh, my dream scenario about Andre Johnson retiring as a Titan or as a Colt uh, in the Hall of Fame, um, sort of similar to that. I, I lived in Austin when the uh, Vince Young thing happened with the Texans, when he, when he was drafted by the Titans and everyone lost their mind. So you not living in Houston, you understand this, how sometimes the affiliate will show a different game than the Texans game. So mm-hmm. I used whatever small platform I had at the time. I, this is when I was actively blogging at my old blog way back in the day. And I basically was like on Twitter and like calling uh, the CBS affiliate in Austin, just basically saying, you guys have got to play the Texans game, you know, like uh, this, this is, I know that you love VY, but you you guys have got to do this. And the Texans actually caught wind of this and their PR department sent me a box of uh, Texans t-shirts to hand out to, yeah, to hand out to people in Austin as like a fan outreach thing. So I used to go to these uh, watch parties at a couple of places in Austin where they would, you know, they would get the Texans game on, you know, from whatever the, the dish service was at the time where they could actually play the Texans game in town when it was blacked out or I'm sorry, when it wasn't being shown. And so I would hand these t-shirts out. So my pie in the sky plan this time, which again, I know is even more unrealistic than my Andre Johnson idea is Watt and Watson both end up on the same team. And whether that's NFC or AFC, I begin a, um, I, I begin to rally people to get with, either KHOU in Houston or the Fox affiliate in Houston to televise that game over the Texans, mm-hmm. that's a which good I know idea. is never going to happen, but I want to at least put it out there because there's nothing that's ever going to change. You know, mm-hmm. this, the NFL makes it easy to make money. You don't have to actually run a competent franchise, like with the TV deals and everything, they're always going to make money. So I, I know that that would be completely unrealistic and it would never work, but just, just the, the sort of, uh, rebellious fan conduct of that appeals to me to be like, look, I, I don't even want to watch these guys. I want to watch the guys that we loved who got traded off. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. And also, <laughs> it's like that. It runs that Jamie Roots book too that he wrote about like how you you run a successful sports operation. It's football in Texas. It's yeah. the, it's like some bottled water in the middle of the desert. Like you're gonna yeah. make money. People are gonna yep. watch it. It doesn't matter. It's football <laughs> in Texas. One. It's Step not that one, hard. Genius. Franchise. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, and this also kind of goes along the sense of like, you know, being friends with people and everything about this team itself. Like, even though the team's going to be bad and stupid and it is, it's like that, that's, that part of it is what, uh, 
is what we'll miss if you know if people do drop off and whatever else. But uh, I love Steph also. I'm glad Steph loves us. You know, she's been on the podcast a few times before, and I've always have oh, yeah. really enjoyed Steph's talking great. to her. And Steph is great. Um, and JJ Watt's great and beautiful. And I hope he has a really good time next year in Pittsburgh with his brothers or in Green Bay closer to his, his wife or in Buffalo with Josh Allen, which I'd be very jealous of. Uh, anybody who's close to Josh <laughs> Allen makes him very jealous. But uh, So I, that's all I have for, for today. I don't know if you have anything else at all. No, I mean, I think we we covered that and more. And, and I just, you know, yeah, I, I, I hope JJ succeeds wherever he goes. And But I especially hope that at some point he sits down and goes on the record because I feel like JJ is the guy is a guy who's capable of delivering the message that needs to be delivered without it just being, you know, a thing that that, you know, he, he'll do it very politely, which I don't care. Like, I'd prefer it to be completely you know, not polite at all. But but realistically, living in the real world, I feel like JJ is the, is the kind of guy who could be like, you know what? Those fans don't deserve this. So I'm going to go on the record. It's not going to be him like necessarily yeah. naming names and naming actual things that have happened, but just confirming that all the stuff that we've heard about is true and that he is ripping the franchise apart. Just that's, that's my biggest wish. JJ, get your ring, but also do us one solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. If he can do that, just even more so than win a ring next year, if he can come out and say some things and expose some truth and try to get something to Cal McNair's ears, uh, put more pressure on about like how screwed up this whole thing is. Yeah, I think I think anything from his level of stature and his level of play, the fact that he was the entire franchise for as long as he was, um, I think that if anything could hold some weight, I don't even know if it would, but if anything could, I think Watt would be able to do so. And so I hope he does pull that off as well. And I, and I think for like I know this was a long episode, but I wanted to at least get like an hour of good JJ Watt stuff. And I think we pulled it off, even though it may be like an hour Watt and then fifteen minutes Jackie from the Texans are stupid. Yeah. Uh, but like we're doing our best. We're doing the best job we can. All roads lead to how stupid the Texans are. Yeah. We, we go where the material leads us. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I think next week we'll be doing a, a super mega ultra, you know, ridiculous podcast with Tim and everybody else. And, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you next weekend. And I don't know, I may try to do a show during next week, maybe earlier part of next week, like an off season preview or like a Texans award show or, or something like that. I'll try to figure it out and see if I, I got time with ability to, have to do something. But We'll another show soon. We'll be cranking them out throughout the offseason. Uh, but until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Ballard Radio. And thank you on today, Chris. Thanks, Matt. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Priceline.